Good afternoon, Gerald. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Evan. Hello. So we are all here. It's Saturday. That must mean it's time for another episode of Gaming Sessions Podcast. No. It's got to be something else other than that. (laughs) Saturday in the park. I think it was the 4th of July. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, everyone who's back with us and listening, happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. USA! (laughs) (laughs) Happy F the Monarchy Day. Because of tea and our unwillingness to pay our debts. Mm. (laughs) Just the American way. (laughs) So, yes, this is Gaming Sessions Podcast. I am David, a.k.a. Vincent DB82. My friend down the street next town over, Evan... Uh, what up? If you if you want to give your PlayStation tag, you can if you want. As soon as I remember it, yeah. I I, yeah. I am not the kind of guy who plays a lot of games online and interacts with people. So yeah, yeah fair enough. And then and in of fact, course, I just spent the last couple of weeks playing The Last of Us Part Two. So right. And of course, our co-host. Yep. Gerald here, a.k.a. Sukinode. Nice to be back. Nice to have everybody back. Hope everybody's been being safe and having a good day. All right. I so just, me... in my mind, when you do that, just, like, imagine in my head that, like, weird talk show music playing when you say all that, just like in those episodes of Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> <laughs> well, I normally do uh, put in background music on the first segment. It's a... Uh... It was a song called Dragonfly, I think. Isn't that the one we chose? Is that the one where you take my life and take my hand and take me where I cannot stand? No, that would be Firefly. Yeah, I don't care. I'm still free. Mm. You definitely can't take the sky from me. Are you sure? (laughs) Wahaha. Well, they, (laughs) they tried. Those lions bastards. But anyways... So, Join the Browncoats, folks. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> anything interesting happened to anybody this week? Mm, I can't say anything especially. Like, I, I really wish I could get up here and brag about how I won the lottery, but no, that didn't happen. Mm. <laughs> Trust me, if you win the lottery, that's nothing to brag about. I have oh, yet to I hear a happy story of somebody winning the lottery. <laughs> yeah, I actually, that was something I was looking up as well, too. And, like, I was, uh, there was a video I watched about a lot of people who won the lottery and how it actually made things much worse for them. And I was you find pretty out sure just that... how greedy your loved ones are. And I well, use the term that, love and loved ones very loosely. <laughs> I thought if you won the lottery, you had the option of winning it anonymously. Oh no! <laughs> and you had to. Uh, depends on the state. Okay. Because yeah, some states your do, name some states out there don't. like that. Well, that's because well, they'll very much encourage you to put your name out there. It's one of those we want the poor people to know that they don't always have to be poor. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Right. 
And don't forget, the lottery is based off of the idea of getting a bunch of people who don't have money to give up what little money they have in the hopes that they'll have tons of money. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, 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 I moved, not wrong. when I moved here, I was glad they didn't have the scratch-off tickets because when I drove truck, every gas station I went to, there was a line of people just for the scratch-offs. And lo and behold... I remember... Oh, sorry. Continue. And lo and behold, now they have the education lottery here, and there's lines of people. Just like I go to my corner store up here for my beer and my beer and other supplies, and you know I'll see the same people go in there, <laughs> buy like half a roll Excuse of me. water tickets, go out to the car, scratch them. Well, hell, there was last week. There was a dude. He bought it. Bought like a line of the tickets. And just scratched off the thing on the bottom that you, uh, that you scan to see if you've won. And he just he just sat there, just like scratch, 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 keep tossing. Believe me, I used to sell them. I know exactly how much of that is BS. Like when they tell you X number will win out of so many, they're counting the break evens as wins. <laughs> so if you like win back a dollar on a one dollar ticket, that counts as a win, even though mm-hmm. you made no money. Which anyone who's been to Vegas and been to their casinos should know that if you walk out breaking even, you kind of did win. (laughs) Right. Because let's not forget, it's all gambling at the end of the day. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I have something. Had had another trip to the ER yesterday. Uh, How is George Clooney doing? uh, Last I heard... He was working at the factory with Roseanne and, uh, oh wait, wrong, wrong show. (laughs) But, uh, luckily there was no admission needed. We were there for maybe three hours. And I think we, we know not to let her drink caffeine anymore. Oh God. I hate that part. I had to deal with that when I had cancer. You, you, nothing makes you miss coffee than knowing you can't have coffee. Hmm. In fact, I actually stopped drinking coffee before I had cancer for about a year or two, which made my habit of going to coffee shops really difficult for a while, or at least more expensive. <laughs> but as soon as like I was told I don't have cancer anymore, I'm like, fuck it. I only live once. For, I am never going to stop drinking coffee again. Hmm. <laughs> and since I'm 38... And I'm in the lower part of what a healthy uh, blood pressure is. I'm okay with that. <laughs> hmm. Right. So, yeah, there was that. And you know, nothing really interesting happening. Not necessarily a bad thing, but. Yeah, nothing. this is. If ever there's a year where you don't want anything interesting to happen to you, this is it. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> the worst curse you can lay on a person is to wish them to have an exciting life. Hmm. Old school Chinese curse. <laughs> May you live in interesting times. Hmm. I don't think China expected that curse to apply to them as well, but <laughs> <laughs> they never do. So did nope. uh... the Greeks do, thank God. <laughs> hmm. They don't learn anything from that, but they at least expect it. Hmm. Indeed. So... Not an interesting week. Cool. Well, hmm? I played The Last of Us Part 2, so I guess I'm involved in that 
weird sort of controversy. Mm. Which so. I can easily sum up as uh, if you're not like incredibly homophobic and annoyed that they're that they're not just putting straight white males as the main character in every game, because they literally did like to show how smart those people are. They spammed uh, Metacritic or whatever it is for video games on the day of release to make it sure it got a low reviewer score. Which, for those wondering why that's stupid, it took me 35 hours to finish the game. Hmm. So, literally, even if you didn't sleep, you would need at least two days to actually give a proper review. Right. Well, and I, I heard... Uh, I heard that little bit of controversy that there's what a transgender a lesbian and they kill all the men. Okay. The main Ellie is a lesbian and that was revealed with the DLC for the first game. So why people are acting like that's a, if anyone's acting like that's a surprise, they never really played the game. <laughs> right. There well, is a transgendered character and that's a major plot point. I thought they came out and said that she wasn't transgender. She's one of the male. I said there no, is Abby. a transgender character. It's not Abby. Oh, and it's not Abby? Okay. Yeah, which is part of the controversy because there's a bunch of idiots who apparently have never seen what a woman looks like when she works out without steroids, or with, really, and they claim that no woman actually looks like that, which, FYI, there was a woman who was a physical model for the character. But yes, if a woman works out to get crazy fucking muscles, that's basically what she looks like. And I'm sure it bugged people more that she's the reason why the... Uh, when you look at the backs of the box and you list the reasons for why it's rated M for mature, you see nudity and sexual content, and that's all I'm going to say there. Hmm. It's almost like muscular women like to get laid like everybody else. What a shocker. It's like someone getting mad because you have a sex scene with two fat people or something. Anyway, well, which, as Rule 34 states, there is porn for that. Yeah. Well, because these are good storytellers, it wasn't pornographic, though I'm sure there are people who saw it that way. <laughs> but uh, it seems like for those people who aren't crazy, insane, and thinks literally every single thing on the planet needs to be political... They're more upset because a major character from the first game is killed in the beginning because that's the inciting incident. And they have completely and totally forgotten that really what that character did in the first game was horrible. We understand it. We sympathize with it. I, that, that's my all-time favorite video game, so I know it in detail. But kind of like the whole point of the world is that if you're going to survive in that kind of environment there's no such thing as decency anymore. Hmm. Like you're not a good guy anymore. You're just a fucking survivor. And if you come out of that with your soul clean, regardless of what that means to you, you're the luckiest some bitch on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And this move and this game just kind of goes with that even more and shows how even more messed up the world is. Basically put, the moral of The Last of Us Part 2 is Seattle fucking sucks. <laughs> True words were never spoken. Well, I guess really the real moral is how pointless revenge is when you really take it to its limit, but still. Indeed. Gerald, you sound like you're wanting to say something. Uh, no, um, I've... 
I haven't played the games. I have no intention of playing the games. They don't like anything that interests me. Um, I have heard both sides of the argument, and I have seen the reviews. Um, I don't know. I can't agree with Evan's point of view on it um, for the reasons why it's getting you know, why it's getting bad reviews and stuff like that. Some of the things he says, I absolutely see happening. Just people overreacting and being well, What are the reasons it's getting it. bad reviews? Um, well, like I said, I haven't played it. I don't know anything about it except for what I've heard. So I have no stake in this race. I have no horse in see, this race. Um, what I would say is either for people to watch a let's play of it which would be the best way to do it because if you end up not liking it then you don't have to pay for it um or to just watch the reviews and make their own opinion um i have seen reviews who are well you can't make your own opinion if you're watching a review i just want to point that out real quick i hate when people do well that's why i said or that's why i said first watch a let's play or uh, you know and then watch some of the reviews but the best way would be to watch someone actually play through it so you can watch the story unfold and then make your own opinions. Um, I've seen point of views that are completely counter to what you've said. And then I've seen point of views that have said the exact same thing you've been saying. What I, uh, what I gather from this is there are points that are being made. So th this is just what I've gathered from it. The reason everybody's angry that I believe it's Joel who is one of the main characters? Ellie and Joel were the main characters from the first. I was one. trying to leave that out so I don't spoil it for people who are going to play it. I, I'll. Well, it's anyone who hasn't been spoiled on that game is a miracle, um, and I'm not going to try to say anything. Surprisingly enough, that was me. Well, and I'm not going to try to say. <laughs> I was avoiding it with a passion. Uh, I'm not going to try to say anything that's uh, a that's a spoiler. But this happens so early in the game. Anything that happens almost immediately in the beginning of the game, I don't really see as a spoiler. But I also understand that it's a very big deal because of the first game, and now we're going in the second game. But yeah, I'll say that. Well, going to that for just a second, uh, David, please don't edit what he said out then because I have a similar rule when it comes to movies. Like if it's in the first act, there's no point in saying it's a spoiler. Yeah, because it happens right. immediately. Um, and in this case, it's the inciting incident. So. Right. so and I just want to say real quick for a moment that, honestly, I don't know why people were shocked about that. Because to me, the most surprising thing about that was that he was still alive at the start of the game. Because I knew as soon as they said, Ellie's going to be your, play your main playable character, I was expecting him to already be dead. Mm. I'm glad I was wrong, because that would not have been as good a story. But go ahead. Um yeah. Uh, so from what I've gathered is that people are angry that Joel dies. This happens, like like Evan said, this is the inciting incident. This happens in like the first fifteen yes. to twenty minutes of the game. Um, Joel ends up being killed, and one of the reasons uh, a lot of uh, longtime fans are angry about that is because Joel is supposed to be smarter than that. So him getting into the situation he got into that got him killed is what people have been angry about there. And the reason that is – And they're all wrong. Well, this is just – this is just what no, I'm No, I'm saying they are factually – they are factually wrong for the same reason that people who bitched about the way uh, um, Luke Skywalker was acting The Last Jedi are wrong. 
because that means pretending that no character development happens during the gap period. Well, once again, I don't know. I have no stake yeah. in this horse. I have no horse in this race. <laughs> I'm just saying yeah. what I what I know to give the other side of that argument. I'm, gonna, I'm basically playing devil's advocate here. I'm going to make it clear now <laughs> in hopes that this won't lead to too many comments like of a very negative variety, and I don't mean disagrees with me. I mean that does not help with discussion. When I say something is wrong, I am never talking about someone's opinion, and I am talking about the facts as they are stated. So if someone is upset about that scene for the reason you said, mm -hmm. I get it, but I never had that issue or problem because I'm smart enough to understand that this is a Joel who has spent four years of his life living in a safe community. And I know at least David, as someone who served, can tell you it does not take long being safe after you've been living a dangerous lifestyle for any period of time before you start letting your guard down. Okay, yeah, and that basically was the uh, was the complaint is that Joel is supposed to be distrusting, and he didn't know who these people were. He told them his name. Yeah. He told them that he was from a, like where a community was, yeah. and the reason they say that I is get that because of the the situation that they're in, because it's like it's basically a zombie apocalypse, and they keep talking about. And I think this was stated in the first game about the big horde. Wasn't that was that from the like end of the first game that they were worried about? Um, no, there is a bit like because uh, I don't want to accidentally spoil anything. So, well, you really need to play the first game because the one of the big parts of the game is that it's uh, a post-apocalypse is more complicated than that. Like you still have societies that are great and stuff like that with different goals. The other reason I recommend playing the game is because yes, you can watch a gameplay and the story is more than good enough that a gameplay will create a set the walkthrough or anything like that will create a satisfying experience but watching someone else play this game online even if they don't do the commentary is like watching the watchman movie you're watching a story that is not meant to be experienced that way and was purposely designed for the medium it was made for Okay, well then, maybe I should stop here then, because without having played the game, then I can't give a uh, sound argument. Like I said, I was mostly just yeah saying. No, what I think you're I, doing very well. Yeah, like what I've and I don't want you I've to heard. stop. I want you to keep going. But yeah, because uh, I think it's um because I think it's good that there's someone who hasn't played the game because I think no matter how hard I try to be objective, that is The Last of Us is my all time favorite video game. The Last of Us Part 2, I'm probably about two or three playthroughs away from it being my second favorite. Because I'm very, as, J as David can tell you, I'm very much a story guy. Mm. And this is the perfect symbiosis to me of gameplay and, and story. Uh, especially considering that as a guy who's been playing video games since like 1984, <laughs> like there's a lot of conventions that are of gaming that are thrown out the window so they can tell a good story that could only be told in a video game. That said, going back to that whole complaint, like, with Joel, because, yeah, it is basically he's killed by somebody by being trusting. And if you're playing the first game, there's no reason he would be a trusting character there. And it's shown before, like, in the... Uh, you basically get what I call the Dawn of the Dead moment uh, in the remake, where she wakes up the next morning and the zombie apocalypse has just fucking happened. Mm -hmm. 
it's like you're in the thick of it, you basically get to play that moment or that version of the moment in this world. I'm very reluctant to call it a zombie apocalypse, but I'm also reluctant to not call it that for reasons that are pretty obvious when you find out what the cause is, what the infection is. Okay. Uh, but that and um, but that said, though, uh, the first half is, like I said, the complete ignorance of character development that just because you're not seeing a story happen in that time period doesn't mean that character hasn't changed. The other one, and this is why I'm really bugged by fans of the first game who say that, is that they seem to completely miss the whole point of the community he's been in for the last four years, which they established in the first game and established this point, which is to create a safe haven for those who don't want to prey on others. And at that point in the game, yeah, she's a stranger who is just looking, who's like literally when you, when she meets Joel and one other character, Tommy, who's Joel's brother, mm -hmm. like she's just a girl trying to escape a horde. And all she tells him is, yeah, my friends are just here, and we're just passing through and all that. And they offer them a safe place to be, even if it's just for a little while. And they had no idea and no reason to think that these people were out for revenge. And part of that is also people not quite grasping a world without the internet, I think, too. Because like to me, my biggest problem with this world is that people learn things from states away. <laughs> and, and I kind of want an explanation for that at some point in another game. Like we, but fortunately, it's all I heard a rumor. We got a lead because this is a world that doesn't have telephones. It does not have the internet. Ooh, you are you are brave, and that's why. I, go ahead. What were you about to say, Gerald? Disconnected. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Hopefully he'll just try the link again. Uh, let's see. Let me get my phone out. I can send a message to him letting him know the stream is still going. But yeah, like I was saying to me, like where that kind of plays with the idea, I feel like, of uh, believability in that world um, is that on one hand, I don't see how uh, okay, that people get in. Okay. Yeah, I... Go ahead and say what you were saying real quick before I continue. Okay, so here, uh, this is the the, uh, the other side of the argument that I've been hearing is Joel shouldn't have been as trusting of the people he came across because he didn't know them. Um, the other thing was there was supposed to be a big threat of a horde of the game's uh, zombies that never happened and was pretty much forgotten about. Um, I didn't bullshit. I didn't hear about <laughs> anyone being angry about Ellie being a lesbian. Uh, I mean, that's. I think it's pretty obvious what the crowd is for that one. Uh, and I, I think those were the two main things. Um, and just uh, and I think another one was people were like the fact that both Abby and Ellie after this event happens. Uh, basically travel across country to then basically try to murder each other. So, like, so it's no. what's supposed to be. A Ellie does, Abby does not. Yeah. 
And they actually do a good job of explaining how Abby is able to find them as quick as they do. Okay. Because it's like, and part of the reason I say it's like it plays with my willful suspension of disbelief a little bit is like I said, as you can imagine, I'm guessing every one of us has lived in a pre-internet age here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as you can imagine, it seems like it'd be very difficult to learn information about stuff in another state in this world when you don't have the kinds of communication that even we grew up with, let alone those who grew up with the internet. But at the same time, where it becomes believable is the fact that it takes Abby four years to find Joel. And that's actually very important. Okay. And this is honestly one of the best revenge tales I have ever come across in my entire life. And it couldn't have been done in any medium other than a video game. And yeah, it's the kind of thing. And honestly, if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, then I'm going and you when you play this game, then I'm going to assume you haven't played the first game. Because, for spoilers, for a seven-year-old video game that's been a big part of the pop culture lexicon for a while, or at least the geek culture lexicon, at the end of the game, the character you play basically fucks over all of humanity for one person. How dare they? I hope that... And everything, hope that yeah, and everything that happens in this... <laughs> uh... David, you're going to regret saying that. That person was Ellie, and it's because he saw her as a surrogate daughter. Uh-oh. Yeah, so I don't. So if you edit that out, I don't blame you. If you want to keep that for everyone else's entertainment, I also don't blame you. <laughs> um, something you should know, I do very little editing of the, of, of the podcast. Yes, I've worked that out. And in the, in the first game, Ellie's like, what, 13? 14. By the, uh, she's 14 at the start, 15 by the end of it. And she's 19 in this game. And one of the things I really like, and I think it was more accidental than purposeful, is how they do a good job of showing that in a world where death is just always around you, you got to do a lot of living in a very brief period of time. <laughs> by the end yeah. of the by the end of the second game, Ellie is 20, and there is well, a bit, where, and she does have a love interest. And let's just say, as someone who played the first game, I was very happy they cut away when they did, because that felt like watching my little girl on her honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, they're basically back at a time where medical sciences don't really exist anymore. So everybody dies at like 30. You're half right. Uh, from what um, I've seen. Yeah, I don't it's know, but from what I've seen. Basically, it's, it's like that. take all the modern amenities of modern medicine, but you still have the knowledge. So it's not as bad as living in the Dark Ages. But you kind of, if you're used to living in the 20th or 21st century, you don't want to be any closer to the Dark Ages than hmm. that. Because here there be cholera and typhoid. and Yeah, and there are places that have electricity, but they do a good job of showing that they're like, like basically put the big difference between how it, like any post-apocalypse, the big difference between how things used to be and how they are in this world is essentially that you still have that technology out there if you can find it and figure out how to use it and adjust it to the world you're living in. But, you know, it's this is why I say it's better to play the game than just watch it, even though watching it is not bad, because like I said, the story really is that good. You could just watch it just fine. Uh, but 
a lot of the point of the game from a player's perspective is it really is trying to make you feel like you are living in a post-apocalyptic world. You're living in a world that has zero interest in your survival, that where uh, resources are very limited. One of my favorite tricks they use in the game is that um, it is impossible to get all the power-ups and basically make your character as OP as possible in both games in a single playthrough. Hmm. You have to pick and choose what you're going to get better at or what what of your equipment is going to be improved and how it's going to be improved as the game progresses in that first playthrough. Interesting. Yeah. And it's only when you get the new game plus that you can like improve your character to its ultimate status. And the funny thing is, like I've played it uh, the first game several times where I literally have all the power-ups and everything. And it makes you kind of long for when shit was hard for you. Hmm. That's a big part of why I was anxious to play this new game. Because this is very much a case of you only get to play it for the first time once. Hmm. Because even when I limit my resources and play the game like I did the first time all over again, I'm still familiar with the stages and what all the enemies and stuff are. And that kind of takes away from... It keeps you from catching that first high again. You still get a really good high from playing it that way. I replayed the first game in preparation for the sequel. But it's like a big part of that. I'm living in a dangerous, everything's going to kill me post-apocalyptic world is you have to learn to accept something that most games usually compensate for, which is that you're not prepared for what's coming. Mm. Interesting. And this game... Uh, I think it's safe to say you just really, even everything we just did, not to say we've wasted like half an hour's worth of audio time or anything, but I don't think you should even listen to what anything that was said here. You can't trust opinions anymore, at least you can't trust other people's opinions. You just gotta play it yourself. Or at the very least, do what Gerald suggested earlier. Watch a playthrough of it or something. I subscribe to the Rad Brad channel specifically for that reason, for when either I'm not 100% sure if I want to play a game, so I want to get sort of like see what the beginning is like, to see if that interests me, or just to see what someone else's point of view of it is, because the Rad Brad is really good about sort of like keeping his opinions in a bubble. Like, he has no political interest in his video games. He is just interested in how he personally feels playing this game, and he is actually, and even though there are, and he's doing an excellent job on The Last of Us Part 2, of expressing his feelings and opinions in that fashion, because there are things I agree with him with, I disagree with him with, especially with how he plays the game, but in a refreshing way, if that makes sense. Like, it's not him putting his worldview on it, it's just him reacting to it. Everybody, welcome Chewie. Chewie has decided to join us. What's up, Chewie? Hey, Chewie, we're talking about The Last of Us Part (laughs) 2. Actually, we're going to... uh take a break since uh, Gerald's time is a bit limited we're gonna we're gonna right. break here and uh, I want to I want to talk this movie first because when Gerald talked about it in in our chat yesterday I was like okay and then when it got to that one scene I was like oh this movie <laughs> well you watch the disaster artist not the right room. but but still yeah but yeah, but in a lot of ways, watching The Disaster Artist is like The Room, but not really. Just like how watching The Room is like watching The Disaster Artist, but not really. 
<laughs> well, that's why I said that's why I said in the uh, message that it was sort of a remake of the room because they do it is showing them making it, but it also shows a little bit of what it was. And then they go into like actual historic documentary stuff at the very end. I'm going to recommend, well, after the break, I'm going to recommend a movie if they want a more truncated version of that experience. And it's a movie I want to give more, uh, more attention to no matter how small that attention may be. So uh, remind me to bring that up later. All right. So on that note, we will be right back. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. Mm, that was a great break from our sponsors. Aren't, aren't our sponsors such amazing? Oh, we're not doing the sponsor sponsor break yet. So, oh, disaster. Take, yeah. take it all back. <laughs> uh, just so I don't forget, I want to mention what that movie I talked about is. And ask me about it again later after we talk about the disaster artists. So I can go into detail about why I suggested it. Do you mind that? Mm-hmm. What's the movie? One take of the dead. One take of the dead. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Um, Chewie, remind Gerald to remind me to ask more about this later. (laughs) I'll just make a note. And uh, Gerald, (laughs) remind Chewie to remind um, David to remind me to ask about this later. (laughs) Right. We will circle jerk this until we get it right. (laughs) Exactly. So when Gerald brought this up, I was, you know, we we hadn't done a movie review in a while. So that that was cool. And he was really excited about it. So I was like, all right. I do do want to say this about my point of view. When you pointed out that that when uh, you were, when I asked what movie you guys were talking about and Gerald said, ask me if I ever had the room. My response was, know it. I have it. <laughs> right. So, so the so the scene I was referring to was when uh, Tommy, the the actual dude's name, uh, breaks out, you know, busts out onto the roof, talking about I didn't hit her. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Throws the bottle. I saw that clip. Well, somewhere. can I ask a question real quick? And I feel bad for not asking this question earlier. Do you sure you don't want to do Constantine first since we already like started that discussion last week? Well, like I had said in the, uh, in the, in the chat, um, we will just run, we'll do the stuff, review the stuff. And then when Gerald needs to go for his D and D thing, you don't want to do that. Because I'm going to have a lot to say about the TV show, and you're going to need all the time you can do this for it. Okay. <laughs> and also, like I said, like we already started talking about it last week, and we didn't finish the conversation. So it might be better for the listeners if we do that. All right, change in plan. Gerald, <laughs> TV show. All right, the Constantine TV show? Yes. Well, I will call it Constantine because it did not get anywhere near enough right for me to actually pronounce it correctly. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was the TV show, and it was the first two uh, animated movies. Um, yes. I'm actually, I'm going to start with the animated movie because I really like well, the animated movie. To be clear, there's uh, three. Well, right. I said the first two. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I did though. Say the first two. 
Uh, to make it clear, there's Justice League Dark. There's Constantine City of Demons, which is actually an edited version of a web series. Hmm. And then there's Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. But I actually recommend we don't do that because I think calling it Justice League Dark is a misnomer because it's more of just a plain old Justice League movie where John Constantine plays a really huge part. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so I will say of those three, personally, I feel the last one is the best as a movie in and of itself. If you're watching it as a fan of John Constantine, then in my opinion, the best one of those is Justice League Dark. Okay. I enjoyed the TV show. Oh, Chewie, yeah, we're going to get heavy into that. And I have, <laughs> with the exception of the actor Matt Ryan, who is also the voice actor for John Constantine in the animated movies, yeah. I have pretty much n- almost nothing good to say about it. No. Well, Speaking the best embodiment of the character you can do in a PG Bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> you want to see the best embodiment of the character you can do in television or film? Well, one, I will go into detail about all the mistakes the TV made, starting with the network. And two, I can write that character in my sleep now and I can create a much better both version of the character that's more accurate to the comics as well as a better TV show. But we'll get to that when we get to that. I'm going to let Gerald take the reins because I think if I take the reins, I'm just going to go too far into a series of rants. Gerald, you're my leash. (laughs) Okay. So, all right. So I'm going to start with the animated movies I watched, Justin League, oh. Justice League Dark, and City of Demons. Real quick, Chewie, for reference, John Constantine is my all-time favorite comic book character. That's why I have the passion for the subject that I do. I feel like you should know that before we go in. Okay. Hmm. I was just saying I enjoyed the TV show for the TV show. <laughs> no, I get that, but I'm also like, I'm not going to pretend I don't have obvious biases because of that. We're going to be objective. I have to acknowledge my prejudices. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so it just is, uh, Justice League Dark. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, before Evan goes off on another rant, do it quick. Quick. Uh, no, I have no rant. I love Justice League Dark. Okay. We're, if we're <laughs> going to get through this with the limited time that I have, I need interruptions to stop let me finish my thoughts and then everyone can have their comments okay okay all right thank you um so gonna start with the justice league dark movie the justice league dark movie basically starts us off with basically people seeing hallucinations and going and going crazy uh when we start off we have a woman in her car um and a man comes up to her window the situation is she's parked he's coming over to find out you know what's going on with her and when she looks at him she sees monsters right so she basically just starts and then everyone around her starts looking like monsters and she just starts running people down she's stopped by wonder woman 
who stops the car, pulls her out, and she tries to tell Wonder Woman, but they're all monsters, don't you see? And she looks, and then the woman looks, and all they see is uh, people who have been hit by her while she was driving the car, and either dead, dying, or injured. And, you know, Wonder Woman's like, I only see one monster. And this is a series of events that happens. We go to Superman who stops a man from murdering his wife and kids and then comes to find out that he was systematically going through the neighborhood and killing everybody. And he uh, you also... mentioned Superman, so I want to make a quick point about this movie. It oh, is God. rated R. Well, that's fine. <clears throat> yeah. um, well, no, there's a lot of people when they hear Superman, they just think this is for kids. So I'm just saying that for clarity's sake. Well, that's fine. Um, so... We find he's been going systematically through this through his neighborhood, basically killing everyone. And he tells Superman as well, you know, they're monsters. Look at them. Look at them. They're monsters. Can't you see? So then we move on to a scene of Batman and he's up on uh, I think it's a tall building or a bell tower. Um, and there's a woman with her baby. And when we see the baby through the woman's eyes, it looks like some horrible monstrous or monster and or demon. And she tries to tell Batman is like, you know, I like she she even I think is wearing a cross. So she's so it's implied she's heavily uh, religious and she is literally about to throw the baby off the building and Batman's trying to talk her down. And in her eyes, the baby, like, jumps at her. Like, the baby starts crying, and she just throw- launches the baby. And Batman jumps out, grapples, well, catches the baby. Well, the baby looks like a demon. Well, that, yeah, that's yeah. what I said. That's what he said. Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> the uh, Long Island iced tea I made for myself before we started recording has kicked in. I'm at least one going on two sheets to the wind. Well, yeah. Well, this is also why I tell David to keep the... Uh, drinking to a minimum when on the podcast so that we can get the point no, I done. Get that. And, yeah. I am drinking for Constantine. So okay. So uh, he catches the child and when he turns around, she has also, she had already thrown herself off the building. So she has already fallen to the ground and died. Now, Batman goes to Zatanna who is a uh, who is a known figure who becomes a part of the Justice League, but she's a well-known uh, magician who does like shows and things like that. He goes to her to talk to her about it. Once she hears what's going on, she says, "You know, this sounds very much like uh, this sounds very much like magic." And Batman doesn't really believe in magic at the time, at least because he's skeptical no. of that. He's like. He does, but he doesn't go do it quickly. Yeah, he doesn't immediately decide that it is magic. He uh, because he's having the discussion with uh, Wonder Woman and Superman about it, and they bring up the uh, possibility that it could be magic affecting people's minds because of what the the perpetrators have been saying. And Batman basically states, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to believe in magic or anything like that for people to be monsters. So at first, he's skeptical that that might be what's going on. Um, well, if I remember correctly, he talks to Zatanna because she's a magic expert. Because the thing with Batman and magic is he doesn't deal with magic well. And apropos 
to the conversation, but not really apropos to the movie. Batman actually does know how to use magic. He just doesn't. Uh, but he prefers to go to the experts because he wants to make absolutely sure it's anything but magic before he says it's magic. And yeah. basically Zatanna, in this case, he goes to her because she's the expert when it's real magic. Yeah. So, and at that point, I wish I had rewatched these. I did not know we were going to be doing more Constantine today. <laughs> so I wish I had You're rewatched fine. them for this. Uh, David but, uh, promised me last week I would, and I had watched it about a week ago for my other project. So some okay. of this is still very fresh in my memory. But, um, so yeah, he goes to Satana so that we can, uh, basically to help him figure out what's going on. That leads him to, um, one of the other team members. Is it Brooklyn Brown? Um, the, the guy who's a ghost and can, no, he's from people. Brooklyn. You're thinking of, uh, Boston brand, Boston brand. Yeah. Who is also known as dead man. Yeah. Who has so, the dumbest superpower in history. <laughs> not even close. I know of a character, though not from comics, whose superpower is he can manipulate milk. <laughs> yeah, but Boston Brand is literally what his, for lack of a better term, superhero name implies. He is a dead man. He is a, um, He's a circus performer. Yeah, he's a circus performer, and his one way of interacting with the world is that he can possess other people. And there are actually is a long history of Batman, Dead Man team up events, but that's only relevant to this movie in the sense that, that explains why they decided to use Dead Man in it, on top of the fact that Justice League Dark is supposed to be all the famous uh DC magic characters coming together as opposed to just the superheroes. Yeah. And uh so they that's when they go looking for Constantine. Um, uh, and they're attacked while they're on their way to see him. They get away. He brings them into uh, what is the library known as, Evan? I don't. Rem- I don't. It's not a library. That is a long time DC tradition dating back to the seventies when they uh, when the Comics Code Authority allowed horror again. It is called the House of Mystery, yep. not to be confused with the House of Secrets. Okay. Um, but every Sandman fan just thanked me. (laughs) (laughs) But that's where he basically that's where they go to find Constantine and he secrets them away. So, uh, they do get away from the attack that they're, uh, the attack. Now, they believe that what is going on is that it is some form of it's not necessarily a magical attack, but something mystical is happening in the world and it's having a worldwide effect because the same thing that happened in uh with batman and the people he helped and the people superman and wonder woman helped is going on all over the globe um so constantine goes to an old friend to find out uh to see if he can help them locate and figure out what's going on um once they do they get pointed into uh he brings that guy back to the house of mystery um but he i forget if he is attacked or something happens and he like goes into a coma well 
if it's the character I'm thinking of, he's an old friend of John Constantine. And uh, they do pronounce it in the movie as Constantine, but because, uh, for reasons I'll get into later, this is, I am okay with calling this character Constantine. Um, it's an old friend of his who basically has a sort of magic version of cancer. And, well, he doesn't go into a coma, but he is attacked for reasons that become apparent later in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does get attacked. Uh, he's basically out of the picture and cannot help. Um, and the House of Mysteries has a sapient, uh, is sapient in a way, and creates itself its That own is body. Black Orchid. Is it not that? Uh, I think in the movie it said uh, it was the yeah. house. It is the house of mystery, but the name for the specific physical body it made it for itself. Uh, so could just basically understand our plane better is called Black Orchid. Uh, okay. Think how the character of Ava in Mass Effect creates it. Is basically she is the ship that you know the Normandy, but she still has a body for herself so she can interact more with the physical world. It's basically the mystic version of that. Okay. Um, but it's the house's uh, version of Cortana. Yeah, and basically yeah. she's there to get Boston Brand, Dead Man, laid. <laughs> she really doesn't yeah, do much of it. Yeah, I thought that movie. was weird, no. too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, what, there's, what? there is immediately a romantic thing that they heavily... It's not even heavily implied. It's blatantly outshone. Screw that. that. Really You're saying tragedy. romantic. I'm saying lust. Like, Dead Man makes it very clear he's got a ghost boner the second he sees her, and I was hoping there'd be more to her than that, but there's a scene that doesn't even have Dead Man in it where they had, like, Mortal Kombat-style boo physics in her animation. I was like, oh, we're just supposed to think she's hot. Yeah. So that we're okay with Dead Man basically flying into the house of mystery at the end to fuck her later. Yeah, I honestly, I would have been okay with that scene if she hadn't been humanoid. I would have liked to have seen that scene and her not have been humanoid. In the movie's defense, she is from the comic. But because the comic was neither truncated, you know, longer and was handled by a better writer, in my opinion... Which isn't to say the writing on this is bad, but it's it's writing for an hour and 20 minute long animated movie, basically. Hmm. Um, and also, DC seemed to have a weird thing. At least the animated movies had this weird thing where they wanted to acknowledge things like sex exists, but weren't willing to jump all the way in yet. Even though this is rated R. <laughs> um, l- let's just say that if you read the actual Justice League Dark comic, she serves a much better and more substantial role than she does in this movie where I feel like she's there because this is loosely based off of the first arc from the Justice League comic. Very loosely. She's Western yeah. anime fan service. Not too yeah. far off. Sadly. No, that's that's exactly what she is. She doesn't actually serve much of any other role. Um, and, I and the reason I brought her up... to be invested enough in Dead Man so that he gets laid at the end, which is funny because he's a ghost. But that's also weird because we don't really get much of Dead Man in this movie either for us to want to be invested in him. Um, I just want to bring up that to me that's just a general problem with most movies that introduce characters in a group event. Like I think we all agree a big part of why Avengers worked is because we got to know two-thirds of the Avengers 
in their own respective movies, even though that movie itself actually worked just fine as an introduction to most of those characters. But we don't, but at the same time, I think people are vaguely aware of like Iron Man, Cap, Thor, and the Incredible Hulk. Who the fuck knows Dead Man outside of comic geeks like me? Or Swamp Thing. Well, everyone knew Swamp Thing back in the day. Swamp Thing is not anything new, but they didn't know him as he is. Well, they don't know him as he is in the DC universe. No. Yeah. But I would chew on that. It was a fairly big deal in its time. When it first came out, it was actually fairly popular. Everyone knew who Swamp Thing was. Well, they had Um, TV show. You're half right. Yeah. Well, it had a it had what three or four movies. It had a TV show. Um, it was okay. uh, it had a toy line. Like it As was the guy who knew too much stuff. about. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it's oh, time is the nineteen seventies. Oh, well, at least it seemed like it. It's like this. Basically, Swamp Thing was a very much monster of the issue style comic when it was first premiered in the 70s and mm-hmm. was greatly undermined by Marvel's Man Thing, which was made independently, but the two had so many similarities that there's still debate to this day if one ripped off the other. Um, and that, but, and during the, where it really got its popular resurgence from a comic book perspective was the 80s when Alan Moore took over. And because of his popularity with that, um, the guy who made, uh, I can't remember his name right now, Wes Craven, the guy who created um, Nightmare on Elm Street, made a movie yeah. with yeah. Adrian Barbeau in the early 80s, which did get a sequel, which is basically a remake of the first movie. <laughs> but without Adrian Barbeau, so the boobs aren't as nice and there's no nudity. <laughs> Even though Alan Moore completely changed the entire mythology of the character in his run, which for those who don't know, is the definitive run of that character, and you can easily get reprints in your local... You can probably find them in your local library of that book, and you should absolutely read it, but it takes everything that most people in pop culture think of, of Swamp Thing, that comes from those early 70s issues, and throws them out the window. There have, to this day, been three television series, one, uh, two live-action, one animated. The live-action one just came out about a year or two ago, and it's actually surprisingly good. good. Yeah, it's much better than it should be. Like, and I had a, I have a weird special place in my heart for that first one, which I think originally ran on Showtime and then was re-ran on USA. And one cartoon series, and that's where your toy line comes from. Because in the late 80s, early 90s, there is a trend of making toy series out of things that were made for adults. I am done now. <laughs> so I don't. Well, no, no, no. That, that's fine. Again. That's fine. Um, that was actually great because that's a lot of stuff I didn't know. Um, but as far as the as far as the movie go, getting back to our topic, as far as the movie goes, um, and Swamp Thing actually makes an appearance in this movie too. So uh, basically, just uh, as and this a is summary, to help speed so things can... up because I really want to talk about the TV show because I know that is a big part of it too. If I remember correctly, the team is John Constantine, Satana. Sort of Batman. He's more like an observer than uh, a participant. Uh, Dead Man, Swamp Thing, and I think Black Orchid is actually it. 
I feel like there's someone no. I'm forgetting, but I can't think of who Etrigan. they are. Etrigan. Right and Etrigan, yeah. Thank you! Etrigan. Oh my god, how do I forget Etrigan the demon? And by because you're a terrible extension, Jason me. Blood. <laughs> John Constantine is my favorite character. If you know that character and understand he's my favorite, you should automatically assume that. Okay. But, uh, but That's a Jack Kirby me- character, too. I feel like such shit now. It's okay. Etrigan it is wasn't that cool. impressive of a fucking movie to remember everything. <laughs> but uh, let me go ahead and I wish uh, you were right, Chewie, but you're right. <laughs> uh, but basically the movie go the basically what the movie does is it it sets them up to go find out who is causing the problem, right? So we go off on a we go off and we and uh, they end up fighting a another known magician powerful in his own right we get to see a little bit of zatanna's character when she wait goes, are you talking about but, felix faust yes he is not that powerful i don't know these things i'm just giving it a quick summary <laughs> and um, but he is um but zatanna we get to see goes a little bit we get to see a little bit of what's going on with Zatanna and that she goes berserk during the fight and nearly kills Felix and Constantine has to brick has to talk her down from doing it. Um, because Constantine is very much about whole uh, about the whole heaven and hell thing and not staining your soul and he actually says that to her. He's like you haven't spilled any blood, you haven't stained your soul, you have to stop now. So he's able to talk her down. Um, then we find out John that it Baker. wasn't Felix who attacked them because they thought it was Felix. And I believe it was John's friend who pointed them in Felix's direction. So I am going to interject back. again for Felix Faust to explain why he was the perfect red herring for this movie. Well, no, no, no wait. Nobody stop. cares. Let me finish. And no, then we I can, can actually say it real quick. Ten words. He. He is that guy at the party who's gotten laid a couple of times, so he thinks he's James Bond. He's the magic equivalent of that. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so once they realize that they were basically sent off on a wild goose chase, they go back to the house of mystery to find that John's friend is fully awake and capable and needed a way to get into the house of mystery so he could get his hands on a jewel that John had gotten out of a poker game with the Demons 3 uh, when he was with Jason Blood, correct? Correct. Okay, yeah, when he was with Jason Blood. And it's this giant sort of... It's a giant evil-looking ruby. And if you think, how can a ruby be evil-looking? Because it's all jagged and has points and stuff. Like, they, they make it so that it looks evil. Um... And what it really is, is the, uh, I, be, I believe they call it the uh, Gem of Nightmares. I honestly don't care. <laughs> like like I said, I agree with you. I enjoy this movie, but Chewie really is right when he says this is not a good enough movie to remember every detail of. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to make sure that there's enough context. But uh the Gem of Nightmares was originally an instrument that was made by an ancient evil sorcerer who became basically a demigod with it. And Jason Blood and Merlin together defeated him. 
Um, basically, Jason was nearly killed in the encounter. Merlin was able to banish him, and that was also the explanation for why Jason was bound to Etrigan. Uh, to save Jason's life, Merlin merged Etrigan and uh, Jason together into one body. So he come. So basically, uh, Constantine's friend is was duped the entire time the jewel was controlling him because he had a piece of it and it was using him to become whole again so it could bring back uh so basically the sorcerer could bring himself back so that happens and when he when he first comes back there's really not anyone who can stop him like wonder woman can't get near him superman can't stop him at the time uh the uh, Swamp Thing tries to fight him and is defeated. Uh, and they end up, ha- Constantine comes up with one of his, you know, brilliant underhanded plans to get uh, Boston Brand in uh, inside of his force field. And that allows Boston Brand to control him long enough that they can weaken him so that they can then finally defeat him. In the process, Jason Blood is killed. Uh, Jason Blood dies once he's separated from Etrigan. And um, so uh, it was, I thought it was a, I, I thought it was an all right movie. Like, I, I'm with you guys. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. Um, it may, I, it's not the best DC uh, animated movie, but I thought it was okay. And it gives you a good kind of look. Um, I think it gives you a fairly good look into uh, Constantine's character. Like, it's the tip of the iceberg, but I think it gives you a pretty good glimpse. Yes um, and no, but it's not the worst introduction by a... Let's be fun. Let's be frank. The movie is the worst introduction to John Constantine. but So it is not the worst introduction to that character by a long shot. No, the original Constantine movie is the worst introduction to that character. Yeah, and even though I, as I said in the last episode, I actually prefer the movie to the TV show, and I'll restate why again when we talk about the TV show. Yeah, that's the fucking worst. (laughs) Uh, Now, the City of Demons is a lot quicker. Basically, what happens is one of John's old friend's daughter is kidnapped by a a high-ranking demon. Um... So, of course, his friend goes to get John in order to help him get her back. The demon says that was the plan all along. Oh, go ahead, Chewie. It's Chaz, right? It's Kramer? Uh, I think it was was I want to say his name was like Gary or Richie. But it's uh, I don't think I'm not 100% sure. I don't think it's a a character from the comic. Not because I remember the character's name or don't remember it, but because it doesn't fit any character necessarily whose name I remember from the comics. But at the same time, John Constantine fucks over so many of his friends that I am just okay with this plot. Like, I, that's the reason okay. why I really like this movie is because it's one of his friends that he fucked over. Okay. Well, it's not even that that he fucked him over. See, this is one of the things I really liked about this movie. So, but let's move along and then we'll get there. But yeah, um, basically his his friend comes to get him to help him out. They go off to find the demon that kidnapped his daughter. We find out it's a high ranking demon. He won't release his daughter's soul 
unless he gets rid of five other demon competitors because this demon wants them off the board. Oh, are we talking about um, City of Angels now? City City of Demons. It's City of Demons, yeah. Sorry, I thought we were still on uh, Justice League Dark. I didn't realize you moved on. No. Uh, we I have a lot City of things Demons. to say about City of Demons, but let's continue. But, uh, so it's to get rid of those five demons. And in order for him to do that quickly, oh, he actually um, summons up... Mm. Chewie, you're right. It is Chaz. That's It's his daughter. Sorry. Okay. okay. Continue. Uh, but, um... <laughs> So, uh, fuck, lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Um, but we, uh, in order for him to get rid of the other five demons, um, he calls up a Mayan, an old ancient Mayan god. And this god fell out of favor with his worshippers and is now living under a slaughterhouse. And it's a Mayan god of death. I forget the exact name. So what he does is he lures the five demons to a church, I believe it was, and he sets up an arena, basically trapping all five of them in there once the Mayan god shows up. And the Mayan god is strong enough to kill all those demons, and in the process, and here we see another point of where Constantine screws people over you know regardless of who it is but in the process he gets so messed up he asks constantine to take him back to the slaughterhouse so he can rejuvenate himself and constantine instead destroys him because he's too dangerous to leave around so two birds one stone um and then he goes back to the demon and we find out that the demon is actually nergal and anyone who has knowledge of Constantine and what was the Newcastle and the event in Constantine's life, the Newcastle event in Constantine's life, Nergal was the demon that he summoned in Newcastle. And the demon basically is holding Chaz's daughter's uh, soul as hostage to put a leash on Constantine and use him as his agent. Um, Now, quick, uh, quick, quick interruption the Mayan god is Kizen. Kizen. Okay. Um, so once they now, when this all first started off, Constantine asked Chaz, "What would you sacrifice in order to save your daughter?" He said, "Anything." So once they realize that Nergal has no intention whatsoever of giving up Chaz's daughter. And this is what I really liked about this movie. Because demons are what they are, because they're in, in Constantine in Constantine's world, demons are old school malevolent creatures. They are monsters who love and revel in carnage, destruction, and suffering. And that is shown all through the movie. These are purely evil creatures. For the most part, because we do meet a demon that's not quite as bad as the rest. But Nergal is one of the worst. And what they do is, he, what he does and has to explain later is that he channels all of Chaz's and his wife's love into their daughter. Specifically, he channels his daughter's love and his wife's love for Chaz into 
his daughter's soul inside the demon, and he channels all of Chaz's love for him, Constantine, into the demon. And love is basically a disease, a sickness for a creature, for a uh, demon such as Nergal, because they it is completely Nurgle. an anthem. Uh, uh, they Nurgle? always mispronounce his name in that movie. I always get annoyed. It's Nergal. <laughs> okay, I I've heard it pronounced as Nergal like, uh, well, like a lot, so that's what I was going Constantine, for. Constantine, just no, it's it's... fucking John. <laughs> no, actually, with the John Constantine Constantine thing, there's more to it than just who fucking cares how you pronounce it. No, there actually is an appropriate pronunciation. There's In my defense, though, and everything for well, everything, but people fuck but, up everything. Yeah, well, it was Constantine. It's that uh, Alan Moore who created the character pronounced it that way. In this one, though. There actually is a possibility I'm wrong because City of Demons is the only thing I know of where that name is actually said aloud. But I will get into details why I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Nurgle instead of Nurgal when you're done summarizing the plot. Yeah. But that is basically where the uh, the movie ten- the ends. They are able to save Chaz's daughter. He um, uh, and when at the moment when John is explaining to Chaz what happened, because what he did is by channeling all of that love from his wife and his daughter to save her, they lost their love for Chaz and that they wouldn't even remember him. And hmm, then because he channeled all of Chaz's love for, for John into the demon uh, Chaz also lost his memory of Constantine. So, and one of the the running themes of of John is that there is always a price for magic, and that's basically how the story ends. Um, and the one thing I always thought was odd when it comes to anything with John Constantine, once I started watching and reading more about him is that he always has that saying, there's always a price for magic. But he's the only person I ever really see pay a price for magic. Like, you look at a lot of other DC characters who just throw magic around like it's a freaking, like it's a toy, and they're literally next to no Is it? (laughs) I, I just... The only time I have ever heard of there being a price for magic has been with John oh Constantine. Okay. There's so many wow. other heroes I've seen so much magic to cover around. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I understand. I will most likely have to be educated, but just from my experiences with the DC universe, oh. many of the characters that I um... I've read and seen who use magic, there's not some huge price for it. They just do it. Okay, um, for let me put it to you this way: you're actually not wrong. But here's the problem, and this is where things will easily get confusing to people, because um, I'm, I'm assuming everyone here is enough of a geek to understand that there's a lot of places where um, continuity and behind-the-scenes stuff connects and disconnects at the same time. I'm assuming we all understand that. That's how it works to a small extent, right? Mm. So, if you are looking at solely incontinuity superhero stuff, you are absolutely 100% right, Gerald. However, though the Hellblazer comic that the story is based off of, 
was originally connected to DC continuity. Uh, by roughly, I think, towards the end of uh, the Garth Ennis run, give or take, who's the second writer to handle the the Hellblazer comic proper, which is where John Constantine was the main character, mm-hmm. it was decided that nothing Vertigo is is even remotely in. Well, I think by the time Vertigo was created, they decided none of it is in continuity with DC. So sure. the reason why I had that incredibly loud, and I'm not going to lie, actual sincere laughter is because a fuck ton of people play for the price of magic. John just makes sure it's not him. <laughs> and uh, I, I also purposely held off, and this is partially the reason why uh, there's a brief moment I went to the bathroom, so I hope no one called for me during that time. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I hate the movie City of Demons. <laughs> Not as much as I hate the TV show. <laughs> um, well, why do you hate the Why do you hate the movie City of Demons? It's based off of the graphic novel that is kind of sort of the first story from what for me is the most frustrating run of Hellblazer, which Hellblazer, for those who don't know, the comic is kind of broken up by runs. And I say this, and I stay true to this, there is no such thing as a bad writer's run on Hellblazer. For considering that's a series that went for 300 issues, that is really fucking amazing. Like, there is, with the exception, uh, like, good luck finding another book that went 300 issues straight without a bad run. That said... This comes from the Mike Carey run. Mike Carey has one of the best plotted runs of any of the writers to handle the book. But he was the worst at handling John Constantine as a character. No one got the character more wrong on that book than Mike Carey. And like I said before... And City of Demons is based off of Mike Carey's work then? It's based off of the graphic novel he did that was released about a month before his run started by the same name. Gotcha. And let me make it clear. If you're going to take a story from Hellblazer and make it into a single one-off, like there's tons to pick from. And this one was literally like one of the worst to pick from all of them. But personally, if I was going to do a single one-off story for just an animated movie, I would have done Son of the Demon. And um, but he chose the graphic novel City of Demons, which is pretty much uh, if we were to do an outline of City of Demons, as you just described it, it, it pretty much is the comic. But take the worst from a character standpoint and the things that come from that mythology from the character standpoint, uh, writer, and then give it to an American writer by the name of J.M. De Mateus whose work I genuinely enjoy, honestly, but um, I like it when it's his original stuff, and he's what I call a very good comic book writer. If you want a guy who's just going to give you a solid read for your monthly issue, J.M. DeMatteis is great. This was bad on every level to me, especially as a John Constantine fan. It goes into why I actually like Justice League Dark versus anything that used John Constantine as a main character. Because I think it's easier for people to understand him as a character, as a side character, or part of an ensemble, than as a main character. 
and this one, one Chaz would like the ending to this movie is a prime example of why this was one of the worst things. Like, first of all, the comic does not end with Chaz's family forgetting Chaz. And second of all, one of the few people that John Constantine is selfless with is Chaz Chandler. He will protect Chaz Chandler's family and his relationship with his family with almost everything just shy of what it takes to protect his own family. And to give you an idea of what I mean when I say Mike Carey is the worst writer on the book from a character perspective of John Constantine, he ended his run with the first of the fallen tricking his sister into damning her soul to hell for the sake of her husband, who John Constantine hates. And at the end of that run, John Constantine is like, Oh, I'm powerless. I can't do anything. I give up. Oh, they won. That was literally the last panel? That's literally the how that whole run ends. Jeez. And this is the guy when he first met, like, the first of the Fallen. I believe I brought this up in the last episode of this podcast. He tricked him into drinking holy water. And they later on tricked him into giving him a cancer-free body before giving him the finger. <laughs> yeah, that's just any story that ends like that is just yeah, yeah. So um, it's like I see where somebody who has a loose connection to this character, like they just know them on the periphery or know them through like other media would really enjoy City of Demons. But as somebody who has all but lived and breathed this character since he was 18 years old, it just pissed me the fuck off. Yeah, I watched the movie, you read the book. Yeah, though I will say this, this is the best version of Chaz Chandler I've seen outside of the comic so far. Yeah. <laughs> they got the... Ru- yeah, isn't that always the thing with movie with book to movies? Like they they got the wrong person right, and the right people. The only thing they got right was the name. <laughs> yeah, and even then they can't pronounce it correctly. And then they decided that the creator of the book was wrong, and they were right. Wow, or don't creator get, of the character, I should say. Don't get but we'll get more on into the that last into the movie. Dude, <laughs> let's not. Let me tell you right Let, no, now. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're no, not. no, I'm not going to no, go into the last Airbender. <laughs> I'm just saying everything bad I could. If you were to do nothing but me talking badly about John Constantine adaptations for all of this, I could fill just as much time in audio with what they did wrong with the last Airbender, and I didn't even watch that fucking movie. Neither did oh. I. That <laughs> movie is such a. No, 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 no. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. That's why I like you, Gerald. <laughs> People would disagree. You're smart. <laughs> like, the last airbender is toxic waste. Mm. The only adaptation children. I can think of that's worse than that movie is World War Z, and I've already said why. And yeah. um, and but let's move on to the TV series of Constant John Constantine. Um, quick, I, I'm going to do quick. Oh, I, I think the best way to do this because I don't remember Overview everything the whole about the series. Episodes? Yes, and to just pick specific things to talk about. Um, because the, the basic summary of its arc is that uh, 
there is a rising darkness. We find out that there's a big bad behind that. I don't like they. I don't like what they did with man. I don't like what they did with Maniel, especially in the last episode. So a few oh, things I did like actually. The big bad. Yeah, apparently, but I didn't. What I didn't know is like I was like, okay, so he's the big bad. So does that mean he is the first, second, or third of the fallen? And if so, why is he just apparently given free reign to run around on Earth with no interference? The answer to your question is he is a completely original character made for the show, and I can blame a lot of the problems that I have with the show on one specific person. And if you know this person's name and his work, you'll understand why I just don't like him from a creative standpoint. He's an all right guy as a human being, but creatively, I, I, he get he annoys me more and more as his career goes on. Okay, well, this is the time to now do all of that. So, all of our opinions, all of our offshoot conversations, we can do that now. I'm gonna let everyone else so. go first because I think I made it very clear I can go off on this show. There are a few things I hate more than this show. Well, you know it probably better, and I don't remember it as well because I haven't watched it in like a week and a half. Um, I haven't I don't know. watched the show it felt... since it first aired, but yeah. I did on a whim, not even connected to this podcast, just two or three days ago, decide to watch the pilot on my DC Universe account because there's always a part of me that suspected maybe – like, I just, even though I have no doubt it's as bad as I think it is, that maybe I was being harsh on it, basically, wasn't giving it a proper chance, I couldn't make it 10 minutes into the pilot. It feels like a nothing TV series. It and is. I, 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 it, <sighs> it, like, it's your, it's your typical monster of the week. Like, there's a different monster every episode, and they're on, like, kind of cases. Like, when it first starts off, he's saving the daughter of an old friend that died, and she has the ability to see, basically, the mystical world. Like, she can see demons and how the world really is, and he kind of walks her through the steps of that. She, and they uh, abandoned that character because they decided they didn't like the actress, even though I thought she actually was pretty good with what she had to work with. Oh, so is that why she never showed up again? Because I thought that was really weird. I was like, really? She's only going to be in the first episode? It seems like yes. they built things around her to help John, and then she just vanished after the first... I was like, what? That's why they brought <laughs> Zed in in the second episode. Remember, the pilot was done like a year or two before it went to series. So once they just, once they realized they had a so basically the this fourteen episodes long if I remember correctly is all the episodes they did so the first thirteen so those thirteen episodes were done a year or two after they made the pilot and started shopping it around okay so there is a possibility I'm actually dead wrong and they couldn't get the actress back but I doubt it because I. Don't remember the actress being the most popular actress ever or really doing anything when they went to series. I remember there being an article saying they decided they just did not like the actress. And that's Mm. why Zed came along, who basically was the same character, but played by a different actress and with a different background and was not tied to the pilot. Right. And I have, and the first time I watched the pilot, well, I never watched the actual aired pilot all the way through. 
I saw the original pilot that was leaked. And in that one, that character was basically set up to be a part of the main series. Well, she seemed like even in the first in the pilot episode, she seemed like she was set up to be a part of the series that her and John were supposed to be a team. So, yeah, like they make it very obvious that that was the way it was supposed to go. So, like I said, just reimagine the character of Zed who stayed with him for the rest of the show. Pretend she's played by the same actress and ignore what little backstory we got of her. And just answer me a question. Is that character any different? Well, the, the the thing is, I don't know. They gave her a completely different, like, set of powers, really. And since you don't really get to know the uh, the girl from the first episode, you don't really get to know her. I'd um, say she serves the exact same purpose, it's been don't a while. Me Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. She's serving the same yeah. purpose. Oh, she serves the exact same purpose. Yeah, that, yeah, she was literally Zed is literally just her replacement like, for the exact same purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, to, for those who are wondering, like, what Gerald's talking about, basically put in terms of just what her role is as a as a gear in the machine of the story, she's a compass for the episode to episode plot. She's an exposition dump. No, she's not even an exposition dump. She's she's basically. She's the M scene in a James Bond movie. She's like, a divining you know, you, rod. Yeah. Like, you can't start a James Bond movie without M saying, this is your mission. And her job is to say, hey, there's a weird magic thing happening there. <laughs> or she has some kind of psychic vision of it. And then, yeah. and then, in, and she can, like, like, as it grows, she starts being able to interact kind of with her visions as if they're, like, solid virtual like holograms um it's i will say this the actress is really good like she she does like considering the one for the one for zed or the one the one for zed the the one for zed no let me make it clear the character of zed is from the comics the character in the movie is almost nothing like the character from the comics i am I mean, the show, I am good with the character in the show. That is a change I don't mind. Yeah, I thought Zed actually was really well acted. The Um, base problem with the whole TV show is the network that it is on, and it does not embrace the core ideology of the comic book or let the show go far enough into the realm of mysticism or just flat-out gork grotesquery of the subject matter it could chewy chewy i love you right now (laughs) (laughs) that's the basic problem with the show i mean no not even um i wouldn't go so far to say it's the basic problem but that is a fuck ton of the problems with the show right there i mean like i would say sorry go ahead chewy i don't want to interrupt anybody i'm rude enough as it is the only thing I can compare the show to on something that is similar and ran for as long for an extremely long time that was successful was Supernatural. Yes. Yeah, that's Ow. what I said actually in the uh, in the last podcast when we talked about this. I said it felt like a discount Supernatural. Yes. <laughs> no, it is such a Supernatural ripoff, which as a John Constantine fan pissed me off every even more. And it's <laughs> like, oh god. All right, so um, I said that I said this briefly last week too, but I'm gonna say it again. I feel like the strangely enough, the biggest problem uh, 
in terms of the live action adaptations of John Constantine is each one came out 10 years too late. Because, mm-hmm. like, take the Keanu Reeves movie. If that had come out in 1995 instead of 2005, that's exactly what we expect Hollywood to do with our comic book adaptations. Likewise, with the Constantine TV show, like, take it back four years. The Constantine TV show came out in 2014. If that had been 2004, that's the time period where we got the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies going. We got the uh, Brian Singer X-Men movies going. We had Hellboy and all of that. That's about as good as we expect for an adaptation of a comic as obscure as Hellblazer as we could get back then. I'm like, we'll just look at it and be like, from his perspective of a fan, oh my god, he's blonde and British and doing magic. Thank fucking god they got that much right. You know? Hmm. Yeah, but they couldn't. Never mind. Yeah, no, no. (laughs) If you take the TV show and take it out of a network context and put it into a paid subscription online service where they can actually be more towards the ideals of the service or the source material where it's not as censored. You could, he could actually smoke on fucking TV, but anyway. Yeah. Well, in their defense, NBC, which is the network it went on, did as close to him constantly smoking as they could get. And I think there was even one time he even lit a cigarette. Yeah. Which in 2014 was kind of a big deal, <laughs> and I agree with you 100. Um, percent I think when this thing was made, like uh, before we actually saw the episodes, the series was broken, but not unfixable. The smoking, strangely enough, is one of the is like literally the least of my problems with that show because, like I just said, they got him into that as much as they could. Like this really should have gone, like you said, on like on Netflix or H at least HBO, something like that, just for the smoking alone. The first problem, and I mentioned and I alluded to this guy earlier. I didn't say who this was. This is the person who was basically in charge of the show. David S. Goyer. That oh, the so- guy that fucked up the Blade series. Uh, hmm. Well, he created Wait. and fucked up the Blade series. Like, he's the reason well, we know who Blade is. Well, he's the reason you guys know who Blade is. <laughs> the reason I know who Blade is is because I used to watch the uh, Spider-Man, the animated series in the 90s, and he appeared there. But Man, without that, that's, how I knew. That's, who I w- that's how I was introduced to Blade as well, the Spider-Man yeah. uh, television series. Loved that show as a kid. He also was one of the writers, possibly the writer on Man of Steel. In fact, he's the reason that movie got made. He was the writer, and he's credited as the co-writer. Uh, he was the writer on Batman Begins and credited as the co-writer on The Dark Knight. In movies, his stuff is hit or miss. And occasionally he has a good idea, but mainly where I find he's best at, with the exception of the first two Blade movies, and even then I think Yelbo del Toro is more responsible for the success of Blade 2 on every level than him. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Is that he's much better at refining someone else's idea than he is at making an idea of his own. Though, I do have to admit, his idea for a movie called Supermax was fucking awesome, and I kind of wish that movie was made, but I'm not sure I would have trusted him with the script, in hindsight. Well, I Uh, have one question for the Constantine nerd. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think it's better that they try to take a run that everyone knows and then neuter it, butcher it, and then try to adaptate, make an adaptation of it? Or would you prefer just taking the core main characters and make a completely new story with John? Every You give the base first episode, you give the Newcastle event and explain why he's the way he is, and then just... Let him go and do crazy shit. Do crazy Constantine shit. Stay away from the comic books because you're never going to please the comic book fan, just like you're never going to please a literary fan of Harry Potter. Mm. The literary world and the cinematic world do not match because you can do so much more in the literary terms. Don't feel that's the the best analogy of a movie. Because the problems with Harry Potter were less tied to what it was in terms of literature and more tied Uh, to the fact that the series was still going in literature while they were making the movies, so they didn't know where it was ending. The construct I'm going with is if you take a Harry Potter movie and you take a Harry Potter book, you lose a fuck ton of information and nuance because you do not have the time of a book where you in a movie. That's right. what I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. Is no, 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 no. I get what you're talking about. What I'm lore. saying is that like it's half right and half wrong when you use Harry Potter as your example. Um, if it that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, do you see that example? Then yeah, I'll go with you. Um, here's the thing. There's a. I said earlier I actually prefer the movie to the TV show, and actually ties into what you just asked. Because when I was 16, my grandfather laid a very awesome lesson to me at that age where he said, if you're only going to do a half-assed job, it's better than just not do it at all. The movie is them not bothering to do it at all. The TV show is a half-assed job. Like, I have no doubt the people who made the TV show read the comic. And uh, a lot of this also goes into what I said David Escoyer, too, because he seems to have a very outdated idea of what television was at the time when he made it. But between those two options you gave me, I would have preferred you took the basic concepts of the main character and his supporting cast and preferably his setting and made whole new stories out of that with maybe just like being at best loosely adapted from the comic than basically what we got. Because when you said that like taking like the main run, I took that as the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves because that was loosely, very loosely based off of uh, Dangerous Habits with some loose elements from later on his run thrown in. Is that what you were thinking? Uh, Basically what I'm saying is you take a, like you said, Hellblazer has been around, had a huge uh, amount of issues, but it had runs and they were, they were kind of like end arounds. This is this man's concept and theory on Constantine. This is this man's concept and theory. The writers had their own leeway, but there is an overarching story with each, individual run what it looks like happens with every time they try to either adapt a comic book or a movie they take let's just say the run is the first tome in a chronicle of books Uh, you can't do the whole chronicle so let's just take the first one but we still don't have enough time to give the whole first book its the treatment it true meaning and bring to fruition so let's chop it to shit piece it together and now we have this zombified thing that nobody that knows anything about the books or the information may enjoy 
which is most of the masses. But the only core audience that's really going to go there and then really stump for this movie is going to be the diehards, which are going to piss off. My answer to that is Batman the Animated Series. Batman the Animated Series is one of the best animated series ever put, put to television. Amen to that, as well as one of the greatest adaptations, especially of a comic book, I think was ever made in another medium. And but it's not a direct adaptation of any of the comics. Actually, takes- in many, in some cases it is, in some cases it's not. But what I, the reason I bring that up is what they did a really good job was that they took what was established from multiple runs and multiple eras of that character and made original stories out of it. And where it fit in best, and in a way where it would fit in best with what they created, did adapt certain stories. Like, I, in terms of all of action, I think the MCU way is the best way to do it. You don't want to do a full run, but it is good to take, pick and choose your better stories and adapt those and put actual original stories in between here and there. The best thing about the animated Batman series is. If you look at each, if you take the the murderer's row of Batman's rogues gallery, they basically, in each, each time one of those characters shows up, they do almost a character analysis in the show of this is his motivation, this is why he does this, this is, it gives you an inference into that, or a lead up into why they're that way, and then you can take that anytime you see them later in the show, you don't have to go back to it. That's true, but also a lot when you look at the list of like a lot of the top tens, you'll be surprised how many of those episodes are direct adaptations of actual from the comics Batman. Like the Laughing Fish was not an original story from the animated series. Heart of Ice, which is considered the by most people to be the best episode of that, is. But the Laughing Fish actually comes from like an old like '50s, '60s, or '70s era Joker story. But the point I'm trying to make is is the story is so old the the people who were watching it had no concept of that book. I agree. I'm actually not Therefore, disagreeing with you. Had you had a point. greater leeway within the exact adaptation because you have no one with a basis of the original. That's what I'm saying. Like what they did was that they took an actual comic book story, but they adapted that story to what they had already set up on the show. Right. And okay. I think with Constantine, that would have worked out like – there actually are two, in my opinion, good episodes of the John Constantine TV show. Like, they are genuinely good. They're not great. I'm not going to put them on a list of my favorite episodes of all time uh, ever, but they are easily the two best episodes of this show because this show, to me, was just, like, mediocre because it really is the basement bin supernatural. My One of my biggest problems with the show is – and this, once again, ties into what I think is David S. Goyer's idea of what television is at the time, is that they basically just, like, it felt like literally any episode of, Constant, of Constantine, even the ones that were the good ones, could have been an episode of Supernatural, and the only difference Ooh. would have been the main characters. Yeah, just put <laughs> Dean and Sam. That's what I was thinking in one of the episodes, yeah. too. Because I was like, Zed is just Sam, and John is just Dean. You're partially right. I think Zed, as they did her in the show, is enough of her own original character, and I think that goes more into the actress, and there is a very symbiotic relationship between actors and writers in TV, 
than it has to do with the actual writers of the TV show, because Zed in the TV show is nothing like Zed in the comics, which is actually to its benefit, because Zed is not the most interesting or exciting of characters, sadly. He's basically, she's basically just the first love interest that John Constantine had in his own comic book. Um, but that said, though, what I meant, uh, going back into that, like, um, really the idea of how to do a television show, like, um, can you guys go for a couple of minutes, just go on on your own for a little bit while I go to the bathroom? Because I know what I, all the things I have to say are going to be like really, really long, if not rants, at least like, um, essays. <laughs> in audio form so I think it's better if I take a piss now and then do that and let you guys go on than if I start going on to it now let's go, ahead and, take a, let's go ahead and take a, a sponsor break and then uh, yeah, everybody grab a drink go to the bathroom and then message me when y'all are back alright sounds All right. like a plan so we will be right back alright welcome back Evan Yep, bladder empty. I'm ready to go. That's what happens when you've had nothing to eat. The term eat loosely here, coffee, and you just had a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy. <laughs> the connection never crapped out. Only my bladder is interrupting our recordings. Welcome back, Gerald. And how about that sponsor break? I was. I was going to mention it, but I didn't want to jinx it because you never know when Murphy's listening. But Evan did it right. anyway. Well, I'm very glad I could be helpful beyond just talking about all my issues with adaptations of John Constantine. <laughs> eh, adaptations in and of themselves are mostly a problem. There are some good ones out there, but for the most part, I think a it's a more 50 50 thing than people give it credit for. But I've had a lot of very annoying and frustrating arguments for why an adaptation does or does not work. That leads to like l l piece of advice to everybody in the world. If you're going to argue with somebody about whether or not you like or don't like an argument, don't bring up the you can't do the same thing for one medium than you can for another because if the person you're arguing with didn't already know that, you wouldn't be having the conversation in the first place. Hmm. That's and it's like I'm somebody who studied like story in every medium and every form. So when it's something like John Constantine, which I had a lot of arguments with a lot of friends with, and they tried to bring that up, they didn't grasp that what I was saying is if you did this from the comics, you would have a better TV show. They just saw it as like a super fan refusing to allow any changes to happen on their show that they enjoy, who mm. universally knew nothing from the comics. <clears throat> Hi, my name's David. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I could see you coming out of this show uh, personally, David, and I think you'd be like, uh, knowing nothing from the comics, the show was all right, but I see what you and Gerald mean when you say that it's just a supernatural ripoff, basically. 
Well, I'm not even saying that the show wasn't all right. Remember, I'm coming. I'm also coming from a place where I don't know a lot about John Constantine. Like, I I watched the Keanu Reeves movie. I watched the Justice League Dark movie, like, sometime around when it first came out. Um, I didn't see the second one. I only just recently watched City of Demons, and then I read about his character in the DC fandom wiki page. So I don't really know. I haven't. I haven't actually sat down to read through his stories and his life in the comic books so when i say that the tv show is like a discount supernatural it's because it's very you know it's very supernatural because i watched all the supernatural series and it just seems like there is something missing from the show like Um, i'm i this is me speaking, just trying to look at it as objectively as possible. I pretend I knew nothing about John Constantine. And honestly, I agree with you completely on that because I always do this thing where I sort of have two opinions in my head if I'm a fan of something to begin with. Because um, as I'm not sure if I say it on this podcast before, but in my opinion, the way to finding objectivity isn't by pretending you don't have prejudices or biases, but by acknowledging what those prejudices and biases are and then applying them to your analysis of whatever it is you're looking at. And in this case, I tried to eliminate all of my knowledge and personal feelings of John Constantine. And when I did, what I got was what you said. It's basically somebody trying to copy supernatural because in many, like, and it's like I said earlier, if you just take any random episode, even the ones that actually are based off of an actual comic story in this, which the two best ones in the show are one far more loosely than the other, um, it still just feels like you could have put Sam and Dean in the place of the main characters and you would have had the exact same episode and not even one of the best episodes of that sh- of it's of Supernatural at that. It would be wow. just a, a filler episode or just something to tide you over until something major happens. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to go into it for a bit. I did mention this earlier. I felt like the show was not doomed, but damaged from the start. And I only sort of partially got into why that was. And I don't just mean my own personal issues with David S. Goyer in general. (laughs) Uh, Which, like I said, he's fairly hit or miss, but in television he seems to be almost universally a miss, as far as I can tell, and I haven't watched the show. The best thing he's done so far is Krypton, and that was cancelled after two seasons. For those who don't know, he is Yes, he is the screenwriter for all three of the Blade of the Blade movies. He was the writer director of the last one, but he is also f- almost one hundred percent responsible for the Blade TV show that was horrible until it wasn't, and by that point, people stopped watching, and I don't blame them. Hmm. <laughs> and, um, and when I say, and also like, uh, I'm hoping he's going to come back. Chewie mentioned with a TV show, it never should have been on network television. Uh, he had to bow out. He's got stuff to do. <clears throat> Understandable, but sad. I was really his, like, uh, his part of the conversation in this, because I thought he brought a great perspective. Like, I feel like I'm the diehard, hardcore John Constantine. Gerald you are. is the... Yeah, Gerald <laughs> is the half. I know some of the 
the from the source information about the character, but I also was introduced to him through adaptations. Like a lot of people, that's how I became a fan kind of guy. And Chewie felt very much like the guy where it's like I just take what I get without actually reading the comics kind of fan. And I like that we have those three perspectives. So guess what, David? You get to be Chewie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's when I say that the TV show was like damaged but not doomed, and to make to help make it clear, as a fan, a hardcore fan of John Constantine, I wanted this show to be good. I was even looking for it to be like the Citizen Kane of TV shows. I didn't need to be The Wire, but I just wanted it to be at least an enjoyable distraction for forty to forty-five minutes of TV. Like I expect any TV show to be when I go into it and it's got my interest. Um, so it's not like I wasn't giving the show a chance or that I had way too – I wasn't looking for a unicorn, basically. Unicorn. Yeah. I, I was perfectly okay with a well-bred horse. <laughs> hmm. So let's make it clear that I wasn't going in with super high expectations or expectations that can't be met. I wanted to just, I was okay with it just being a good show and a half decent adaptation. In my opinion, I got neither. Hmm. And um, going back to it, and I said it before, and I don't feel like I say it enough Matt Ryan is John Constantine. I love that fucking actor and almost everything good I can say about this show and at least 50% of what I can say was good about those animated movies we mentioned is because that guy was playing the part. Uh, or do you agree with me, Gerald, when I say we have no issues with the actor Matt Ryan? Yeah. Uh, like uh, Honestly, I don't think I have many issues with any of the major actors in the show, in the TV show. Everybody, from my point of view, everybody did a pretty good job, if not a fan. That's another thing. It's well cast. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's well well cast. Like, I feel like it's a production of, it's a failure of writing. And for those who don't know, television is very much a writer's medium because you're dealing with such a tight schedule that it's almost impossible to change whatever the writer had written into the script and not get your show out on time. And if you don't get your show out on time, that costs you money because TV, especially network television, is completely based on the amount of money that advertisers are give you to put their products in their commercial breaks. Yeah. So the more popular your show, the more advertisers will want to put their advertisements on your show, the more money they pay you to get that done. Because they got to That's eat why each starter other out. Is- that's why, unless it was created by a billionaire, you, ne- you never see a starter business's commercials on the Super Bowl. Hmm. <laughs> well, that, those Super yeah, that, Bowl ads are, aren't cheap. That said, if you know John Constantine, there is nothing about that character that is ad-friendly at all. Hmm. Like, if somebody asked me what I felt was the best John Constantine story put in... Um, television or film i would say the exorcist to give you an idea of how commercial the character is because like to me the only thing missing from the exorcist to make it a john constantine story is john constantine and a whole bunch of cigarettes oh it was the 70s we had more than enough of that (laughs) (laughs) there's a reason why his not smoking is the least of my problems with the constantine tv show 
Because he absolutely should have a cigarette, a lit cigarette in his mouth for almost every second he's on screen. But at that one, I can at least say they went to NBC during the height of the should we or shouldn't we have smoking on TV controversy, or at least at the very worst, the tail end of the height of that controversy. So it not being on there made sense to me, even as a fan. I hated it, but I'm not dumb. Like, uh, I'm not dumb enough to think that you can do what you can't do, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not one of those people who goes to the grocery store and acts like you're in the wrong because you're out of stock of something that everybody else bought out that I wanted. Hmm. If that makes does that make does that analogy make sense to everybody here? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I'm good with that. Like, so the idea that you can't have your chain smoking character chain smoking on our television doesn't actually bother me that much. It's annoying, but it's not a flaw. It's a bug. I mean, it's not a it's not a bug as a feature, basically. Uh, like I said, it's David S. Goyer and something Ver Hayden. I forget the guy's name. Not the best of writers ever. Uh, we're basically the guys in charge of the TV show. And from what I could tell, they didn't even try to like sell this to HBO or at the very least FX. Because I think we can all agree this would have been a better show if it was just on FX. Quite <laughs> because fun. FX FX has some fucking balls. <laughs> like they're still somewhat dependent on their advertisers too, but they're a they're a basic cable station, so they have some leeway, and they love taking advantage as much as possible of that leeway. There's a reason why. Um, what's the name of that that series based off of the Guillermo del Toro novels, uh, the Vampire series, The Strand? There's the reason why The Strand uh. is on FX and not on Fox, basically. <laughs> Because I don't think you could get away with the strand on a, a network television series, and in the grand scheme of things, nothing it was doing was really that bad, even from a censorship perspective. But there's no way what they would have done it. Wait, like you mean ABC the strain? Fox. The strain. Thank you. Yes, okay. that's the show I'm talking. I, about. I was like the strand. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. But continue, yeah. sir. <laughs> yeah, sir. No, no. I, I thank you for correcting me on that. I couldn't remember yeah. the name. But yeah, so like trying to put John Constantine on network television is a mistake from the get-go. Okay, fine. You're going to do John Constantine. What's the most you can do with TV? And here's a show that was coming. There's, I would say there are two shows that basically cement why everything about their adaptation was wrong, and they're both on network television. One, well, one is on basic cable, but the reason I bring that up is because it shows that, and this is a problem they had with the movie too, with John Constantine. A lot of his defining characteristics are what most people consider to be not audience friendly. Hmm. Like he, he is, but at the same time, when John Constantine, when Constantine the show was coming out, even when the pilot was made, like one of the biggest shows on TV was House. What is still being talked about to this day, which is another one of the biggest shows on TV, is Breaking Bad. Talk about shows being headlined by unlikable characters according to the standards of pop culture. Hell, Sherlock, who was like really incredibly true to the character based on how he was in the original novels, who is not even remotely pop culture friendly, state these are characters who became the, some of the most successful characters on television by being unlikable characters according to the standards of pop culture. 
Hmm. So you absolutely could have stayed true to the character of John Constantine and had a successful show. So really, you're only like hindrance then, I would argue, would be the horror aspects of the show. Because Hellblazer, as focused on a single character as it is, is very much a horror series. It's dealing with hardcore shit from beginning to end. But there's another show, and as soon as I say the show, if you're even peripherally familiar with what this show is, you will instantly agree that you're right. They could have done this, and it was a show on the same network, NBC. I want to take a moment just for fun to see if you guys can guess what that show is. Walker. And it was... Nope. Dangerously close, though. I would argue that Law & Order was definitely an excuse to make it more true from a horror aspect uh, to the comic than the show actually was. Gerald, do you want to take a guess? Hmm. And it was a horror show? I personally don't think it was, but it definitely would count as that in most people's point of view. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Well, I don't prescribe Ooh. to horror generally. It's only very specific horror uh, movies or TV shows that really pull me into them. Otherwise, I don't do it. So I probably don't know the show. What I'm trying to decide is if maybe I had come across it and just can't remember. And I'm trying. I have to... no doubt you came across it. Hmm. Oh, like uh, American. Least... Was it American Horror Story? No, that wasn't on NBC. That was on FX. Oh, okay. Mm. Though you did strengthen the point I was making earlier, so I'm still happy you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, because American <laughs> Horror Story is some dank shit. <laughs> yeah. oh, there are full-on sex scenes. It's like, in a fashion that shows just how ridiculous our idea of censorship is. Yeah. Because you see full-on what, what it, for all intents and purposes, from an audience perspective, is penetrative sex in its entirety in that show. But because people are technically clothed, you can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird what gets through and green-lighted. I still say, like, Married with Children. I, I watch Married with Children, and I loved that show <laughs> when I was younger. And I go, this would never that we will never see this show ever again there will uh, never be yeah. <laughs> another married with children there was ever. That, you're right there <laughs> and they <laughs> attempted one too <laughs> the show specifically i'm talking about and it, like i said it was on nbc and it started before constantine i think it had one more season after constantine hannibal uh, oh i never sat down to watch that actually one of the most fucked up shows in the entire television of history. There is stuff I'm like, it went to the absolute limit of what you can do on network television. And the fact that NBC did that for not one, but three whole seasons. And the only reason it did not keep going was because it was not able to sustain the kind, the, the a number of people watching on a weekly basis. You need for a network television show, which for those who don't know is exponentially larger than what you need for even FX, let alone something like HBO or Netflix. Hmm. That is the only reason it didn't make it to a season four. It had its following. It had its audience that kept it going for three whole seasons, which considering how hard it is to get a show on network television past season one is a hell of a feat. So, they were on if you were going to put this show on network television, this was the network to do it. But 
everything I looked up at the time and since about how the show was handled behind the scenes from a creative standpoint in terms of the content pretty much stopped at David S. Goyer and Paul Verhaden or whatever the guy's name is. It's not Paul Verhaden. I forget what the guy's first name is, but it's like Verhaden or something like that. It stopped at them. They had an idea of television that would have worked great in the 90s, but they apparently were not watching TV since then. And in their defense, they were professionally in the TV and movie game. And for those who don't know, when you're actually making that stuff, it doesn't give you much of an opportunity to see what that what's actually happening in that stuff. So it's easy to miss stuff that seems obvious from an audience perspective. So I'm going to be fair there. But seriously, if they had just watched, like I said... Just an episode of Hannibal, even some of one of the, in terms of content, weaker episodes, they would have had a better idea of what they could have done. And it feels a lot like David S. Goyer, in particular, thought he was getting ahead of the censors by not doing certain things from the comics or not going to certain topics or areas of the comic ahead of time. So he already neutered the show before he even started writing the show. Yeah, or and it may have been that he knew he didn't have the right people's ear to get it pushed through. Because, like I said, using using like Married with Children as an example again, it is a miracle that show got greenlit. Hmm. Like when you not really uh, from me watching it. It is. It's a perfect. It's basically perfect timing. And when I say that, I don't just mean the era it happened in. I also mean that Fox was a brand new network that was desperate for just having content. Ah, okay. Well, then that would explain it. (laughs) Yeah. So they just let it slide. Because a lot of the jokes and themes that they deal with on that show, when you see them as an adult and you understand Mm. how heavily censored stuff was at that time, you like I had to keep asking myself, how the hell did this get greenlit? Like, um, is it possible you can go on with this topic for a couple of minutes because overactive liver and I finished my Long Island iced tea a while ago, so I already need to take a piss again. No, go ahead. Uh, me and David will continue on with the subject. That's fine. But um, so what? What I was what I was gonna say is there was another show. Um, I think it was on WB. It, it, it was. It was. I would call it a spiritual successor of uh, Married with Children, but it was kind of mm-hmm. it was kind of weird. Was like that the one had... with the? It was that the one with uh, where he got kicked out by his wife, and he had the uh, like hallucinatory friend stuff bunny. Yes. yes. Yep, I remember that show too. It just <laughs> it, it wasn't Married with Children. It was okay. Like, it was okay, and it was obvious that that's what it was supposed to be, right? Um, It was very obvious that that show was supposed to be the spiritual successor to Married with Children, but it was probably what Married with Children would have been if, like Evan said, Fox hadn't been so new and was just looking for content. Because otherwise, Married with Children would have been neutered. And it was just a neutered married with children. And because it was neutered, I don't think it worked as well, which is why I didn't like it as much. Um, I mostly watched it because when I started watching it, nostalgia hit it. Because I was like, oh, this is, this this just seems to be married with children. But it, it really isn't. 
Well, I was watching it for the uh, for the for the daughter. Yeah, and and, and that <laughs> was the thing. It it was literally the same setup, except for that the parents got divorced. Like it was it was basically the exact same setup. You had the hot daughter, you had the son uh, who was trying to learn how to basically be his own man. Um, and then you had the the couple that sort of love hated each other, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's yeah. I know exactly what you're talking. I can't remember the name of it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah. And it it was okay. It just it just wasn't wasn't good enough. It it, it had gotten its. It, I feel like it did get neutered. Um. Yeah, but I, and I, I remember watching Married with Children as a, as an old child, young teenager, middle teenager. Uh, it was. <laughs> I remember that show. Yeah, Married with Children. Oh God, yeah, I love yeah, that show. Was, you definitely can't do it today. It does not age right. well. <laughs> but, what I was saying, what I was telling telling Gerald was there was a, another show. Neither of us can remember the name, but it it was uh, it was a spiritual successor to Married with Children. It was the the wife kicked the husband out. The husband had a hallucinatory uh, stuffed rabbit friend. He didn't kick him out, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was one of the early WB shows when they were trying to get their network going. Yes. And it's a Bobcat Goldthwait was the voice yes. of the stuffed bunny that kept talking. And he actually wound up marrying the actress who played the teenage daughter, played by Nikki Cox. Nikki Cox, yes. That was the other reason the, I watched it. The show. stuffed bunny? Yeah. Yeah. The voice of the stuffed basically bunny married her, the daughter. <laughs> yeah. And basically the role of that character is she's supposed to be like Christina Applegate's character in terms of that she's really physically and that she's really, really hot. Mm-hmm. But as a character, she's the exact opposite in, the, in that she was a virgin. It was all about preserving that virginity. Hmm. Unhappily ever after. Yes. That That's the, the one. Name. Yeah. And it basically failed because there was only one, only Ed O'Neill can be Ed O'Neill. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There is no replacing that man. <laughs> right. All right. So, back on back on subject. Now that everybody's back. Mm, well, so, let's uh, the Constantine TV show. Whew. Yeah. Well, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do this thing because I think we've said what we can say about the Constantine TV show. So I let's... barely started, but you're right. I will take up all of the time. Well, right. <laughs> so what I am suggest I'm not suggesting we stop talking about it, but we've talked about uh, we've 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 scratched the surface of what we don't like about it. But you said there were two episodes you really liked and thought they did well. So let's go with that. What did you think they did right, and which two episodes did you like, and why? Well, one is the actor. Like I felt like that was a the show Constantine is a great example of a really good actor with a script that almost failed them, and I say almost because his line delivery. Like I don't think John Constantine would say any of the lines, almost any of the lines, were in that show, with a few exceptions. But he, but if he had to, he would say them exactly the way the actors said that he would say them. And it's um, 
in terms of what I like, my all-time favorite episode of that show, and I think I could even rewatch it now, and I won't, and it won't be like trying to rewatch the pilot where I'm like done before ten minutes. I don't even think I made it five minutes, and I'm trying to rewatch that pilot now. I think about it, but like I would have been done so quick is the Hunger Demon episode. Yeah, Do you remember that one? I remember the oh, Hunger like, Demon episode. Yeah, yeah. like like me? yes. It's an actual hunger demon that uh, physically represents self, itself as a large group of flies. And it, that is actually an adaptation of the first two issues of the actual Hellblazer comic by Jamie Delano. Which are actually really good. It's uh, I'm not going to go back into the whole details about Jamie Delano's run. I think I overdid that last week. Mm-hmm. Uh but it, it's. I'm not surprised. That's what. That's the best episode, and it has what is hands down the most John Constantine moment of the entire series, where they go to a grocery store after the hunger demon has already came and went, and killed a whole bunch of the staff in their break room, and John Constantine. And there's not even any dialogue. But nothing in the entire show is more John Constantine in this moment. He walks into the break room. And stops right at the entrance, right next to one of those, it's been this many days since we've had an accident <laughs> signs. Sees the, sees the three or four dead bodies in the break room. Turns and sees the sign. Immediately erases the number they had and writes it a zero with a marker. <laughs> he did that in the episode. Except for it wasn't yes, a that's... supermarket, but he did do it in the episode as well. That's what I said. It's a grocery store. That's what I'm saying. That's okay. not from the comic. That's from the show. Oh, okay. And I'd okay, like okay. to, and I like to think that was Matt Ryan just improvising on the spot because nothing he did in the entire series was more John Constantine than that moment. Mm-hmm. That is his sense of humor in a nutshell. Mm. <laughs> That's his sense of humor. That is his attitude. That is his entire approach to handling supernatural shit. Right there in that moment. And for, as far as I'm concerned, as much as I hate the show, that justified the show's existence. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that episode is also kind of a microcosm of everything they do right and wrong in the series as a whole. Because I really don't like the bit at the end where he's all super sad that he has to talk his friend into sacrificing himself by taking in the hunger demon to trap him in there. Because in the comic... He doesn't do a fucking thing. He just tricks him into doing it and shows almost no remorse or regret at the fact that he tricked his friend into taking in the hunger demon, who, by the way, it's his friend's fucking fault. The hunger demon is in the Western world at all. It was contained within its own culture before the hunger, before his friend decided to be an asshole. Now that's actually (laughs) something about that episode that got me as well. So when he put it in the jar, did he do that? Was that what happened in the comic too? He took it out of the vessel that they had put it in and then put it in that jar? Yeah. Basically, whatever like indigenous tribe he went to, they would just keep put it from host to host, and that's how they kept it contained. But I want to say it's Richie, but I could be wrong. It's the name of the friend. No, nah, it wasn't. Who's... Was it? Oh, it might have, maybe it was Richie. I want to say it was like yeah. Gary or Gary or something. Yeah, basically he wanted to, he wanted to think he was a much better like magic user than he actually was, and I feel the need to make this very clear. John Constantine has no superpowers mm. whatsoever. Everything he does with magic, any 
mortal who knows what they're doing could do. He just took the time and made the effort to learn it. <laughs> so he's not a powerful being or anything. It's just that he's an asshole so big that even hell has to bow down to how much of an asshole he is. Mm. <laughs> Which goes into a big part with my problem with the series and show that these people knew nothing about what they were doing when they made the show. And I think, Gerald, you're about to support what I'm about to say, is that he kept saying in almost every single episode that they had to stop the coming darkness for the greater good. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, Constant he acted saying not, that. I don't remember. In the sh in the show, yes, and he actually used the term greater good. He kept recruiting Zed, and we saw later he recruited Chaz in the show that way by saying, it is for the greater good. No, that, just makes me, and if you, that just makes me think of Hot Fuzz. To yeah, be fair, you, the greater yeah. good was keeping him out of hell. So I'm just saying, I mean, he might have <laughs> actually been that. He wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> his motivation in the show. <clears throat> His motivation was not to keep himself out of hell at all. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> He's just saying we got to stop evil because it's evil throughout the whole series. Yeah, he did. I, I don't know enough about – once again, I don't know enough about the character to have seen that as a problem. So, Well, I think even with like the animated movies, you understand why that's kind of out of character for him because he is an incredibly selfish character. Yeah. Hmm. His involvement with the supernatural is just the fact that he's basically an adrenaline junkie for that shit. Hmm. And the second it starts to get to a point where he realizes he may have put himself on the line, even then I'm talking about his life, he then finds a friend to sacrifice in his stead. <laughs> so basically, don't be Constantine's friend. You might end up getting dead. Not unless you're Chaz. It's the one friend he'll protect no matter what. And boy, has Chaz paid for that mm. in full multiple times. Mm. All right. Which I will say this, even though I'm annoyed he's the character is American, I do like the actor for Chaz in the show, too. Like, the cast is solid. The cast on this show is solid. Mm -hmm. I wish they were given a better show. Yeah. It and Zed is one of the few improvements from the comic that the show did because she actually felt a lot more like a character to me in the show than she did in her original comic. Right. So, all right. So, and the other episode, by the way, is the episode I think about the blues player that introduced Papa Midnight. That's my um, other episode that I like about the show. Yeah. Cause their Papa Midnight was pretty fucking awesome. And unlike the movie, they understood that Papa Midnight was just as amoral and far more and as John Constantine, he was just more adversarial and also a lot more openly sadistic. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So in the sake of for the sake of moving things along because of time constraints, what are we talking about right. next? I can go on and on about the room and the disaster artist, too. Well, I guess we can go ahead and start talking about the disaster artist. I don't think we ever finished that. I'm just going to say this, and this is as little and as big a boast as I can make here. I have been in the same room as Greg Sestero from The Room before. You've been in the same he room? He actually visited. He visits. He used, um, when it was open, uh, at least once 
while I was working, and from what I heard, it wasn't the first time, he visited my job. I know someone who has the man's phone number, and he would actually, like, randomly text her stupid shit. Mm. <laughs> Uh, for, uh, for your sake, David, to help bring in the context, Dave Sestero is the guy that James Franco's brother played in The Disaster Artist. Yeah, I, uh, shit. Yeah, I actually just finished watching it. I started watching it last night, but then finished watching it today. And uh, boy, let me tell you. Uh, mm. <laughs> it's... Dude, if you think this is bad, the actual room is even more cringy. I like I got invited over I've to watched watch it the twice. room with one Gerald of Gerald is not lying. Yeah, I got invited to watch it by one of my friends. And she didn't tell me what it was. When I heard the name, I thought it was going to be like a horror movie. Um because I don't do well with <laughs> horror movies, right? Well, so, and not and entirely I, wrong. <laughs> it's not a horror movie. Well, but it is in no. It 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 makes you feel things. I, I feel like <laughs> I sum up the movie best for everybody when I say it is the worst movie I have ever seen in my life, and I love it for it. Mm. And that's why it's a cult <laughs> classic. That's exactly why it's a cult classic. Oh, um, yeah. Because, like, it's impossible to say you don't enjoy watching it, but it's equally impossible to say you even remotely enjoy watching it. Like, I tell everybody, if you're going to watch The Room, you need two things. As many fans, as many friends as you can gather, and a fuck ton of alcohol. Possibly drugs. Because the first time I watched it was by myself, and I needed a break between the viewings. I mean, like, I stopped halfway through. And did not go back to it until I think like two days later, and then picked up where I left off because there was no way I was rewatching by myself what I had already seen. And also, in terms of the disaster artist, the only thing about that movie that is inaccurate is the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, actually, no, I wouldn't know that, but okay. Uh, yeah, in no, what I way? do. Why I... is the timeline uh, skewed? Because they have to, because it's a movie. For the same reason uh, okay. that, like, you can't do a direct translation of um, Scott Pilgrim and that whole series into a single two-hour movie. Because, like, for those who don't know, like, if you read the comic, that comic takes place over the course of a year, and there's a lot of character development that's not in the movie, because you can't tell the same story in that medium and still keep all that character development, because you've got to truncate the timeline. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and it's very similar to this. Like, to actually show how um, Tommy Wiseau, who, for those who don't know, is the the writer-director of The Room, how he went from everybody hates this movie to, no, 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 this was always meant to be, like, a comedy. We make it so bad it's good on purpose, like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> it's all to be. That is not something that happened that quickly in the film. <laughs> at right. all. It was not on the opening weekend. It took him years to realize he's being loved for that reason. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, real quick, how much more time do you have, Gerald? Uh, we're down to our last 40 minutes. Okay. So, <clears throat> first off, 
I, I went I went ahead and, and Googled Tommy Wiseau. It says he's from Poland. Why so? so why, yeah. Why so? Why so? Potato, potato, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny story, David. How's your sex life? <laughs> Non-existent. That's a good. <laughs> That's good. Non-existent. But anyways... So I did not interrupt your podcast. I didn't do it. I did not. Oh, hi, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was the thing. And, uh, Gerald suggested this movie. I was like, okay, he, he seems to really like it. Cult classics. Are well, I've, this is the first time of me watching it. I only heard about it, but it's also done by James Franco, who I really do like as an actor. And everyone I know who watched it raved about it. Like, told me, yeah, it's really good. You should watch it. So I noticed it. I watched I watched this in the theaters. <laughs> I went out of my way to see this in a movie theater. I think I went technically to a different city so I could see this in a movie theater. I think I watched this in Cary. And uh, like you, it, James Franco, not just as an actor, but as a creator in general, I really enjoy him. And I like how the dude... I don't think anybody has bigger balls with the direction they take their career than James Franco. Mm. I'm not sure how I feel about him as a person, but as a creator, he is fucking amazing. As a person? Let me guess. He's, is he a Republican or something? No, there's, you look him up and there's issues and there's a part of me that wonders if he's kind of like me where I'm autistic. So we make major faux pas socially that are easily mistakable for more toxic behavior if it's being done by someone who's more neurotypical. Mm. Gotcha. uh, But it's, it's from what I heard of him and the things he said and did, it's insanely difficult to tell objectively if he really is a genuinely horrible person or if he's just a, Antisocial in the true sense of the word, not the general vernacular sense of the word. Just a truly antisocial person who does not grasp, who has coming from a point where if you knew where his logic is coming from, it makes sense. But if you don't, it's hard to tell if he's just toxic. Gotcha. From what I heard, at best, he's an incredibly awkward hmm. human being if you meet him in person. Oh, well, he certainly. <laughs> and that's the best assessment of yeah, I can believe it. Too. You certainly put that to good use on on this movie. Oh fuck yeah! You could tell this was a passion project. So yeah, so Gerald talked about it, and I was like, "You want to do? You want to review this?" And he was like, "Yes." I was like, all right, we'll review it. I and Gerald, I love you for that because I feel like if I were to truncate this movie, it's somebody that has all this w- talent that Tommy Wiseau doesn't. Telling the story of Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, to to long story short, the synopsis of this it is a movie about a movie, which evidently was. It is a movie about the making of a movie, right? And uh, I recognized the scene. Of him coming out of coming out onto the rooftop, saying I didn't hit her, it's bullshit, and throwing the throwing the water bottle. I recognized that. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know that it was from the room. Hell, I didn't. I don't even didn't even know 
the room wasn't a movie in and of itself. But uh, I have the yes. DVD and plenty of booze <laughs> if you ever want to see it. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk. You need support of both the chemical and social variety for this film. I cannot stress that enough. Yes, we, we will we will discuss that later. Um, but yeah, so uh, I was I was th- I was thinking about this when I was watching this movie and how when uh, Gerald did his review of the Joker, how he how he said it was kind of physically uncomfortable, right? Yeah, I as someone who likes that movie, I well, agree see, completely. I, I bought the movie on Xbox, and I thought it was a fucking awesome movie. I felt no discomfort at all, which kind of makes me question myself. But then, you know, I'm wearing a. I feel no discomfort, and I'm not sure how much of this is on purpose with Joker because it really is the director very openly showing toxic behavior is toxic behavior. And to this day, I don't know how much of that behavior the director thinks is toxic. Mm. Mm. Now, watching this movie, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> but in a far Try watching way. the movie that they were based off of. Right. Yeah. You want to get uncomfortable? You haven't seen anything until you've seen a guy fuck a woman's belly button. Yeah. On About- a... <laughs> or watch somebody have sex on a spiral staircase like it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, about that. And they that did part. that scene in the they did that scene in the movie too. Um because that's one <laughs> of the things that uh uh Tommy's friend uh, I'm forgetting his name. Um Greg. his his best friend Greg. Greg yeah. Cicero. That's one of the things Greg yeah, cuz Greg was yelling at him about it. He was like, "Yeah, but most directors don't do it with their dick out." <laughs> I'm trying to act Uh, I'm uh, I'm trying to give more to the part (laughs) Gerald real quick have you seen The Room as well or I've seen The Room Uh, okay so that's two of us who have seen uh, uh, Tommy Wiseau's actual ass okay Uh, unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say real quick before I forget this is my favorite Seth Rogen movie Hmm. And for those who haven't seen The Disaster Artist, I am not kidding when I say this. Seth Rogen is the straight man in this film. Meaning yeah. he's the gay man in all of his other films? No! Fuck, do you not know uh, comedy terms? Probably not as well as I should. It's like the buddy cop You have movies. your straight man and your... Yeah, it's like the... Well, you... It, uh, a lot of, generally speaking, in comedy, you have a, a straight man and a foil. The straight man fan, the straight man's job is to basically be the Watson to someone Sherlock Holmes. You're the normal person. Uh, any eccentricities you have is just enough for you to deal with the foil. But the foil is the one who's doing all the crazy cartoonish shit. While the straight man's job is to act as an audience surrogate because you're what a normal person would respond to in that situation. Gotcha. Okay. Thereby enhancing the comedy, okay. basically. And Seth Rogen's role in this movie is he's the guy who actually knows a thing or two about how to actually make a movie. He knows how the tech, how to, how things technically work, and he's just forced to sit back and watch because it's how he makes his money. As this guy does everything mm-hmm. wrong, 
<laughs> I feel like I feel like the room and my favorite and this uh, and the uh, the disaster. Uh, the, I'm forgetting the name. How to, uh, the name of the movie? The disaster. What? The disaster, disaster artist. artist. Yeah, I, I was I was literally forgetting that last <laughs> that last word. But uh, go home. It only goes like I I watch the room and I watch this and they talk about all the time. Like one of the scenes is literally Greg yelling at Tommy. He's like, "Tommy, how old are you? Where are you from? Where did you get all the money from?" And I'm sitting here like, this only goes to show just how far being rich can get you. <laughs> it's like because the only reason this came about is because <laughs> well, Tommy was. I, I can't believe I forgot rich. this. Uh. Okay, so I, I I really feel like I'm the only one who knows this, and I really should have said this sooner. So, The Room is the result of Tommy Wiseau basically being told the basic concept of writing and directing your own movie, and, and then creating The Room, which I am not kidding, worst movie I ever saw. And then the experience of being friends with Tommy Wiseau and then creating the movie... Uh, Greg Sestero, who play, who is the actor who played Tommy Wiseau's character's best friend in the room, wrote a book that is called The Disaster Artist right. off that book. So that and and the Disaster Art, I haven't read the book, but I have watched the movie The Disaster Artist, and uh, I wonder if you guys agree with me when I say that. The Disaster Artist by itself is actually an incredibly good movie that is just even better if you've yeah. seen The Room. As, as Part of me didn't want to do this review because David hadn't, because <laughs> once I realized David hadn't seen it, I thought you had already seen The Room, David. I, I guess I should have asked ahead of time. That was one of the reasons I was... I'm glad uh, he didn't. This is one of the reasons I was excited about doing it. Because I thought we, had, I thought you had already seen it and knew what it was. Because there's so much missing from your context if you haven't seen the room. Yeah. Though to be fair, the Disaster Artist movie helps and you I, with that with the end credit that, sequence, and they they got a lot of it almost spot on. Yeah. Like, literally, the only like complaints you can have in the differences between the two the scenes they recreate and the scenes from the original The Room is nitpicks. But I feel like this was a movie made for the Wikipedia generation where you watch the movie, you think there's no way this is real. And if you watch the end credit sequence, you start to realize, wait, there may be more truth to this than you thought. So you go online, do a Wikipedia or Google search, learn that this is an actual movie that exists. <laughs> and then, because I, I think David, honestly, I think Gerald and I should be jealous of you. Because now that you know this movie exists, I, I could see you easily going out, tracking down this movie, and then watching it, and then wanting to go back and watch the Disaster Artist again. Because I think that's the best way to watch these two movies: watch the Disaster Artist, then watch The Room, then rewatch the Disaster Artist. Well, I, I don't know what's worse: that this movie was made, or that he's made other movies since. Uh, from what I heard, he improved. 
but I cannot stress <laughs> enough how low a bar that is. I have no way of explaining how bad the room is. You have to experience it for yourself. Generally, what I say to people is all you need to do is go on YouTube and put in the room flower shop scene, and that 17 seconds will tell you everything you need to know about the movie before watching it, but you still have to watch the movie because that doesn't prepare you for the experience you're going to have for an hour and a half, and it will be one of the longest hours and a half of your entire life, and it's so fucking hmm. worth it. This thing needs to be studied in film schools everywhere because it is just important to know what not to do as it is to know what to do. And I can't stress this enough. Not one correct decision was made in this entire. <laughs> right. So, like, the first thing, the first <laughs> thing that, that, that got me. Well, hold on. Let David get his Citizen Kane. Evan, Evan, Evan. Let David get his thought out, and then you can jump back in. Right. So, yeah. so the first thing that got me, and it was something that you had said in the chat, <laughs> was, and yes. I understand so, your confusion. We look so much alike. It was like, and you, no, no, I'm Evan. You're David. <laughs> mm -hmm. David am I muted okay I'm not muted but uh, yeah the first thing no, no, I could hear you kinda, <laughs> kinda threw me off about the first and then he corrected himself but then you didn't realize he was saying I'd let David get his thought out yeah so like the way that you <laughs> but what I was about to say was Connection issues. Yeah, he he was breaking up, but continue. Yeah, yeah so the, the thing that really threw me off at, at first was the way the dude was speaking. And then what Evan was saying is, and yes, that's exactly how he sounds. And I was like, huh. It's was, exactly was, how he sounds. And I, I was <laughs> thinking, is, is, is he slow or something? And and like even no. even yeah yeah, so I I googled him, and it says he's from Poland. But again, uh, as is stated in at the end of the movie, we don't know how old he is. Although they say it, uh, the wiki says he was born in fifty five. Mm hmm. We don't know how he got the money, and it's rumored he spent $6 million on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was just the thing. Like, the way he was talking threw me off at, at first. Well, quick interjection. What's even mm -hmm. more about that is it also says they still don't know where he's from. The wiki right. says he's from Poland, but there's no actual verification as to actually where he's from. I, I suppose right. if they did a DNA test, they could probably lock it down to a region where his genes must have come from. But they right. actually still don't know where he comes from either. Or how old he is or how he got his money. Or how he made his money. <laughs> right. Which I find weird. Uh, 
But then again, I don't know when the room was originally made. But in this day and age, 2003, yeah, I, I, I find it really weird that no one's been able to track down where he's from. Unless he's done that on purpose. He may have done that on purpose. I think there are a lot of fan theories going around, that go around on the internet about Tommy Wiseau. Like, might have to make a point to look those up. I'm positive people have speculated. Yeah, they probably have. And uh, getting a message. Yeah, Evan said give him a sec. Yeah. But continue. Yeah, so... It, like, when you had said it was... The, the original movie was cringy, I was like, yeah, this is cringy too. Because, like, what, what was... Like, what was the deal... With him and, and Greg, like, was he gay? Was was he and like no. the big the biggest thing was he seemed to be a control freak. Yes, and, and no, he's not gay or anything like that. Uh, the exact way you see him in the Disaster Artist is exactly how he is. That's the thing. Okay, I think my computer uh, same... fucked me over there a second. Yeah. What was the last uh, thing I said before I was cut off? It was kind of garbled. Yeah, uh, you were breaking up really bad at the time. Basically, uh, uh, like I said, it's monosyllabic. What I was saying was that if Citizen Kane was a movie made by God to show us how movies were supposed to be done, The Room is a movie made not by Satan, but an anti-God. Interesting. <laughs> Right. Okay. So, uh, while, there, I while got my thought were, out. <laughs> yeah. So while you were trying to get reconnected back in, I was uh, finishing my thoughts about how it. I didn't know if if he was gay or if he was a control freak or because like the way he was like possessive of Greg. Greg got the girlfriend. He'd get all pissed off and like, oh, I go, I go acting instructor and and all that shit honestly yeah, i don't think anyone knows including tommy wiseau <laughs> as far as i glean it's he's not gay um he is a control freak like that's very that's made honestly very obvious if if his portrayal is as accurate as it's stated it is very obvious he's a control freak. But it's also uh, think, obvious that he's incredibly uh, socially awkward. Like, very so... Like, like he doesn't understand social norms, right? Like, socially awkward is such an understatement. But well, I know, but I don't know how any other way to say it. <laughs> the thing with Tommy Wiseau is, if you have not experienced him in some way, shape, or form... It's one of those things where it's like nothing we say is enough of an exaggeration to give you the reality. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, well, I was, oh God, it's, it's the thing about him being a control freak is that a big part of Tommy Wiseau is, and the movie also makes us clear, he's kind of given himself to the cult of, of auteur theory. So it's really hard to tell how much of that is him really being a genuine control freak and how much of him is that thinking that's what you're supposed to be if you're a director and especially an auteur? Well, I'm talking more from even when they're not when he wasn't directing, even before then. 
not just during the actual making of the movie like even before directing became a thing in the movie he would you could tell he was very controlling um well he definitely wanted to keep greg for himself no matter how we look at yeah yeah no like and he even said like greg you're my best friend it is like like he saw best best friend for tommy wiseau was like you are basically my my uh asian twin no (laughs) like you're you're connect you're like we are joined at the hip you you're my best friend your family like (laughs) um and i find it funny that they would constantly call him the villain and that he's a vampire and he's a Frankenstein because those the, the, them calling him those things was very spot on considering how he acted because as as Dracula he is a man out of time it, it feels like in the world he came from his behavior was perfectly reasonable and fine but you know he's a thousand years removed, and as none of us, yeah, I was telling David that as well. No one knows. I feel like that's very important that we point that out. Nobody yeah. has. And <laughs> the dude is and a David fucking said on, mystery. They have a wiki on, on him every level. He was from Poland, and I was like, <laughs> no, they don't know. Where... Someone may say he was from Poland, but I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, I, I guess, guess that's the guy. It, it has to be the guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, and I, uh, remind me because it's been a couple of years. It's in the Disaster Artist too. That when Greg asks him where he's from, he's like, "Oh, Norway. I'm an American. I'm from like this yeah, from New- yeah. <laughs> that's all it is. This is a normal accent." Yeah. He said, yeah. "But uh, and <laughs> Frankenstein fits as well." Uh, and I think Frankenstein fits as well. Because he literally everything around him and the way people interacted was some new thing. And you could tell there were times when it felt like he was trying to mimic what other people did. (laughs) (laughs) And if anybody's wondering why people put up with this guy or anything else like that, particularly when he was making the movie... All I can say is my favorite scene in this movie is yeah, when Seth Rogen's much. character goes to cash in the check. <laughs> like, oh, shit, That's man. why. Like, Rich will get you far in life. Just say it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like, because, like, and I am actually a Seth Rogen fan. So keep that in mind when I say this. I think the greatest acting Seth, Seth Rogen has ever done is his genuine look of his genuine reaction of absolute surprise when the check cleared. Mm-hmm. Tommy, <laughs> where are you getting the money from? What do you do? Oh, I am... <laughs> Wait. Speaking of things, nobody knows? <laughs> yeah, and like, like uh... and like the bank teller looking at his computer screen, you're like, oh, it's a bottomless pit. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I, I forgot all about that scene. I don't think I saw it. I think I turned away. That's from the thing the I love TV the most is we still and missed it. Oh, good. 
Well, like I said, I saw in the theater. I missed nothing. I didn't even take a bathroom break for this because I was really looking forward to this movie. And yeah, there's a scene where just it's, it's literally it's not even I think it's not even a minute long. It's just Seth Rogen going to the bank to cash in his first check from Tommy Wiseau. And I cannot stress this enough. I'm not just talking about in film, but in personal experience. I have never seen such fewer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's literally he just showed them the check. They just see the name on it, like, "Oh yeah, here's your money." And he's like, "What? <laughs> what? Really?" That's what they're. He's like, "And it's it's." I'm pretty sure David directly quoted the film when they said it's just a bottomless pit. To this day, no one has any idea how much fucking money Tommy Wiseau has. They just know that everything that happened in this movie was fully financed by Tommy Wiseau. The guy had so much money that not only did he pay for an entire film production and everything on it, he actually bought all the production tools, no renting. Yeah, that was He even put in extra money to spy on everybody. Yep. That yeah, (laughs) was in the movie as well. Yeah, the the documentarian uh, uh, filmer, yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're a 500 year old vampire, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, Tommy Wiseau is the greatest argument for vampires actually existing ever ever seen. Well, <laughs> and and that would harken back to uh, when when you and I were reading the Christine Feehan books. Like, yeah, you know, it'd be great if we could just you know go to work. You know, we live forever. Just go to work. Go you know go dig a hole and sleep. You know, you don't have to pay rent. You don't have bills. You don't have any. You just, you just make fat bank. Yeah, you just imagine. Like I tell people all the time. So what you're saying is, we is all need to quit easy. what we're doing and go to Wall Street, right? <laughs> but I tell people all the time, making money is easy. Making money is the simplest thing in the world. You know what's hard? Keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's hard. Making it's easy. Keeping it's the problem. <laughs> you are not incorrect. Unless your name is Tommy Wiseau. Unless your name is everybody... Tommy. Well, no, even Tommy <laughs> Wiseau doesn't, he is not keeping it. He just has a bottomless fucking pit. <laughs> he throws it well, out wherever he might... wants to, but he just has a bottomless that... pit. <laughs> it might help explain why he's so fucking paranoid about everything in general. It might be. Hey, either 500 year old vampire or someone who's made a pact with the dark powers. One of those two. <laughs> uh, are we not going to talk about the Stella scene at any point in time? AKA yeah. the meet cute between oh. Greg and because um, Greg Sestero has always said he's been consistent about this. That's how I became his friend because anybody who is going to be that crazy on a stage reenacting a scene from a streetcar named Desire with somebody I had to get to know. Because <laughs> right, so... he basically said the guy has, like, no fear. And I believe it. <laughs> right. So time check, Gerald. Uh, we'll probably need to wrap up here shortly. Ten uh, minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, eight, uh, I've got eight minutes on my phone. Might be running fast. I don't know. Um. But yeah, I said I minutes. was rounding, but it sounds like you need to be out by six. Well, I need to be out by yeah, out by six your time, yeah. All right, so but, uh, yeah, yeah, the Stella scene was yeah the it, yeah like yeah it feels like it 
feels like every time we talk about Tommy Wiseau and because that's honestly that's the most interesting thing about this entire thing that a person who basically by our society societal technology appears to not exist just shows <laughs> up with with an endless fortune and starts making movies and doing stuff has no fear is the most socially awkward person we've ever seen like i mean if i didn't know any better i'd start believing elder gods had a hand in something <laughs> like this is some like I said, love shit. <laughs> like i'm not kidding well, to, to, to help put it in context, and once again, I, I don't feel like any of us can exaggerate this enough. If you are a transgendered, like LGBTQ type person, your adolescent doesn't even begin to step into the cold oh. waters. Like, isn't even putting one toe into the levels of social awkwardness that is Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy you go to when you want your abnormal to feel normal. Yeah, hey, Tommy Wiseau puts your shit in real perspective. <laughs> I am an autistic person of color. I can only dream of reaching the levels of social awkwardness this guy does on a daily basis. On a whim, without thinking about it. Like, not even on purpose. Yeah. Just, just the way yeah. it is. <laughs> I think that's why... Uh, James Franco was so interested in him because none of us wants to be Tommy Wiseau, but we all want what Tommy Wiseau has, and I ain't talking about the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit of a bank account. Oh, no, I want the bottomless pit bank account. That's absolutely what I want. <laughs> I, I want the fuck you money, so like if uh, like, for example, if I get a flat tire, you know what, fuck it. New car, <laughs> well, that's a common no. mistake of the rich. You don't buy a new car just because you got I am, a flat tire. You won't be rich for long. I am not. <laughs> I am not saying I would not be happy with the fuck you money, but I think we both know what aspect of Tommy Wiseau is far more valuable in all the ways that matter. Because the, the if you were to look up the term "not give a fuck" in the dictionary. All you would see in the definition is we wish we could give you a definition that fit Tommy Wiseau. Right. <laughs> Dude, don't, and I, I don't underestimate, don't underestimate, uh, I do not underestimate the not give a fuck attitude. Like, I have found yeah. most of my success comes from a not give a fuck attitude. <laughs> to an extent. This but, guy? Yeah, Tommy is a master of it. Tommy... Tommy Tommy Wiseau makes the dude from the Big Lebowski look like an anal retentive worry wart by comparison. Yeah. Like, like if if Ryu was a student of uh of not give a fuck, if Ryu from Street Fighter was the was the, the, the poster boy student of not give a fuck, Tommy Wiseau would be Akuma. If not give a fuck was Kung Fu, Bruce Lee at his most arrogant would bow and suck the toes of Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> if Tommy Wiseau... Wait, no. I, I want to make a tie into Chuck Norris. 
Chuck Norris <laughs> meme out Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau is the Chuck Norris of giving no fucks. Giving no fucks, yeah. Tommy Wiseau is the Chuck Norris <laughs> of giving no fucks. Yes. It is like... And then we then we cut to a scene of Chuck Norris, and it's like Chuck Norris. What about your give a fucks? I learned that shit from Tommy Wiseau. What are you talking about? <laughs> good, good. He is an amazing man, and proof that amazing applies in so many ways. <laughs> it's like the Harry Potter scene. You know, we can. Ex- it's like when they describe Voldemort as being a guy who did great things. Horrible, yes, but great. Tommy Wiseau is the Voldemort of filmmaking. If Voldemort was more Voldemort than Voldemort is. Right. <laughs> if Voldemort had made the... If Voldemort had made Hogwarts, Hogwarts great again, but still been Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody did more... Like. Tommy Wiseau, by his very existence, has done more damage to the Muggle world than Voldemort ever dreamed of. <laughs> All right, we tie a board in, in on this. If the amount okay. of fucks given, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can. <laughs> I think we just spent a solid five minutes trying to describe the no fucks givenery of Tommy Wiseau, and I still feel like we right. failed. <laughs> okay, um, I, it's getting close to me needing to go. Um, right, so you wanted Evan up. to talk about a movie. I was supposed to remind you about that. Yes. No, he, he had um, said it. Um, and now I forgot the movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was see, what the... was my note? It was the culty, cringe, um, yeah, Yeah, you you said it, but now I can't remember. (laughs) See, now I wish I could, and now I'm mad at myself for not remembering it, because this is one of those moments where it's like, if I was at my, doing my radio show, I would have stopped the recording here, paused it, went back and re-listened to what I said, and then come right back as like, ah, what I was going to say was, (laughs) and... (laughs) I wish I could remember it now, and now I'm mad because I thought just you guys reminding me would trigger it, but it didn't. That's what I get for saying that while I was like get getting a sheet or two for my fucking Long Island iced tea. Mm. <laughs> so I apologize, Gerald. That's my failure. Eh, no worries. Um, but Disaster Artist, great movie. Uh, very much oh, recommended. God, I can't recommend it yeah, very much recommended. Absolutely. Like I said, I say watch Disaster Artist if you haven't already seen The Room, then watch The Room, and then rewatch Disaster Artist. It is a triple feature you will thank me for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or hate me. Probably in equal measure. If I could have decided <laughs> what order to watch them in, I think I would have started with the Disaster Artist as well. Having it sprung on me by my <laughs> friend like that was a dick move. <laughs> well, I don't think his friend did your friend. I don't think the disaster artist had been made yet by the time you're, I'm guessing your friend sprung it on you. Probably not. Cause it only came out three years ago. Yeah. And I like knew about the room for at least a decade before that. And I think watched it a good, f- at least three or four movies before that movie, before the disaster artist even came out. 
So if you heard about it early, you were kind of screwed from the jump on that in that regard. <laughs> but if you're David, you lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> well, um, since since cult since this was a cult movie, there is one uh, I know Gerald has seen it because it was me that recommended well, it. To be clear, the room is a cult right. movie. The Disaster Artist is an Academy Award nominated mainstream film. Right, right. But in the but it speaks about a cult movie. Yes. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna add this to the list of, of future ideas for the podcast. But uh, I want to do a review of Interstate sixty. Okay. We can do that. I'll have to rewatch oh the my movie God, we can. Something amazing, David. You brought up a movie I never heard of. That's very rare. Oh, watch ah. it. It's I think it's good. It, it is, people it knock really... it pretty hard, but I think it's good. I'm a fan of the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, so I'm not going to judge. Oh, you were wrong <laughs> for that. You know you're wrong for that one. It's I am a fan as a hardcore fan of the Daredevil comic, not because I think the movie is good, but if you are a fan of the comic, the Easter eggs in that movie are fucking glorious. Yeah. Well, I, I think you should amend your sentence then when you say that. You should be like, I am a fan of the Easter eggs oh. that are in the movie. No, I love the movie, but that's what makes it enjoyable for me. Mm -hmm. Just because I like a movie doesn't mean I'm going to think a movie is good. That's well, that's true. true. That's very true. I wish more <laughs> people could admit that the things they like are trash, but that e despite that, they still like it. It's why I like. Oh, anybody who anybody who doesn't think that movie is trash, watch any episode of Law and Order and then rewatch the court scene. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, so and and this will this will be a, a last thought before we we wrap up. Um, I I have the Daredevil movie, and you know back when I had time, I would watch movies with the commentary on. They, they said for that particular court scene, they were using Dutch angling to show how uh, Matt didn't have power as a lawyer. So many problems with that as a Daredevil fan, but continue. Uh, you know, that, that's, that, that was the commentary. But then once, uh, once he put the suit on and, you know, didn't, didn't pick the guy up from the, from the subway tracks, there was no Dutch angling. So he was in control there. That's what the commentary said. So, you know, don't don't shoot the messenger. That, that's mm -hmm. just what the commentary No, you're said. fine. My universal recommendation for everybody with that movie is if you're going to watch it, watch the director's cut. Not because you're necessarily going to like it, but even people I know who treat who hate that movie with a passion still say that the director's cut is a great improvement because it solves a lot of at least the plot problems with the movie. Mm. Okay, so final thoughts. Uh, disaster the disaster artist, artist is, is awesome. Oh, good, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just summed it up right there. <laughs> oh well, yeah, disaster artist is good. Constantine TV show. Uh, it's going to be viewers' preference, but my opinion is that it's all right. But it, I there's I wouldn't watch through it again. I would not watch the series again. Um, <laughs> DC animated movies, good. I recommend them. 
Um, if you haven't read the comics, if you read the comics, it may just piss you off like it does Evan. <laughs> no, I like Justice League Dark. Uh, and honestly, like I said, uh, with the City of Demons, there were so many better things they could have gotten from the source material. So, so Gerald, <laughs> if you're typing out show notes, uh, send those to me. <laughs> It's like, uh, I guess if I'm going to put in my final thoughts, it's John Constantine outside of his original comic book series is best as a side character or part of an ensemble and a failure generally from the perspective of a comic book, of the of a fan of the original comic book character, a failure as a main character. Hmm. Uh, but if you pretend it existed in a bubble, the show is okay if you don't mind essentially rip-offs of Supernatural. And the movie is okay, I guess, on its own, because I've seen far worse in that regard. Hmm. Right. So for my final thoughts, I might have to uh, maybe... Uh, and I'm, I'm going to have to make sure I schedule my shit out better. Um, but... I might have to look into some Constantine comics. I still have to read, still have to read the Watchmen that I bought on my Kindle. Um, but yeah, uh, Constant Constantine. I like the idea of the character. I'm curious when you say that. It, what would you say is the idea of the character? <laughs> um. He seems, you know, he, I would say he's an anti-hero. He's, he's trying to do good, but it's for an ulterior means. And like you, like both you and Gerald had said, he will in, in a heartbeat sacrifice someone else in his stead. So he, okay. he, he tries. To I was curious. I was curious about that because the actual idea of the character is working class magician. Working class magician? Yes. All right. So here. Ooh, ooh, let me let me do this. Um, and to be clear, no, he is not trying to do good at all. Uh, well, uh, okay. You, you asked for my thoughts, <laughs> so I was giving it. Yeah, sorry about that. No, I was just wondering when you said the idea. I was wondering what you would say the idea was. Right. Yeah, so, Constantine's um, that's... really, really close to being the villain. Really close <laughs> to just being the villain. I would even argue half the time he is the villain. Well, no. <laughs> he, he is a person who who thinks – I'm telling you no. You're the one who's invested in the character and knows more about it. But from my perspective, he is a person where the means justifies the ends as long – as the ends don't end in him dying and going to hell. And not too far off. But yeah. yeah. So, but I, he, but like, I think, like I said, he's in terms of the magic stuff, he's more of a thrill seeker seeker than like the Superman. This is the right thing to do for the benefit of all kind of a thing. Oh yeah. 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 He's not doing the benefit of all. He's just kind of doing what he does. This is his job. And he like, he, he likes it for yeah. the most part, except for when it tries to fuck it oh. over. <laughs> I cannot stress that enough. It is not his job, not even remotely. That's something every that's something every version of the character outside of the comic gets wrong. 
because uh, there's a big, big, major part of the John Constantine mythos, and I hadn't even mentioned it up to this point, that you need to really get the character right. And that's what's called the uh, Synchronicity Superhighway. Hmm. <laughs> and that's a whole other episode to explain that. So I'm okay. going to stop right there. All right. Uh, so... But I got to get going. So those are my final thoughts. Uh, everybody have a good day. Continue having a good week. Enjoy your 4th of July. We'll hopefully see you next time. And you guys, uh, and I'm just saying this for me, you guys will, of course, give your own uh, outros as you go. But I'll see you guys later. Everybody take care. I got to get going. Yep. All right. Thanks, Gerald. You have been awesome. So, yes, for for me, as I'll echo what Gerald said, I hope you all enjoyed our tirades and rants and random thoughts. Um, continue to be safe in this most perilous of times. And I used air quotes because, yeah, I'm just at a, at a fucking level right now. But, uh, you know, be Are you at... Tommy, why so levels of fuck it? I don't think I could ever be that many levels of fuck it. <laughs> no, none of us can. I'm not sure Tommy, why so is human. I don't think it's humanly possible. <laughs> right. right. But, uh, like I said, we don't want to be Tommy, why so, but God, do we want what he has? Mm. <laughs> yes, hair. That would be nice. <laughs> That's a funny story, David. How's your sex life? Non existent. I did not ask him that. I did not ask it. I did not. Oh, hi, audience. <laughs> but yes, be safe. You know, if, if you're in a state where you got to wear the mask, wear the mask. You know, whatever. Wash, wash your fucking hands. I can't tell that enough. Wash your fucking hands. Stay six feet apart. And everybody have a good rest of the weekend. We'll see you next time. Evan? I'm so happy you have me on your little like radio show voice thing. And I am so happy to be here. And I think that sex is best when you penetrate the navel with your penis. And I know what I'm doing. It's why I pay people to watch you. I know you're all talking about me behind my back. And I did not do it. I did not. How's your sex life? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Alrighty then. So everybody, hope you enjoyed the show. Have a good one, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>